why do I like feet? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need this answer Big time as well. foot fetish guy. Big time. I don't fuck them. Okay, don't make that caveats. we know of. Yeah. Uh, so there, there are two reasons. Okay. Left foot, right foot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to know. <laughs> um, there are two reasons. Um, okay, so there's true fetish, mm-hmm. okay? And in the clinical sense, yep. a fetish is something that somebody actually requires in order to get aroused, okay? Ah. So, so, you know, so fetish can be like, people talk about fetish light or people talk about, but then there, there are true fetishes where people actually require um, feet or, okay, let's think about the, the extreme fetishes, right? Okay. And um, So this is the dark side of this, right? Okay. So let's think, like, let's put feet there, but it doesn't have to be dark. But then you could think like um, feces, Dead bodies, right? Bestiality. This is dark stuff. Exactly. It's an immediate. So we have a circuit. We have circuits in our brain that immediately give us the reaction you just give. You put your head back. It's it's kind of like get me away from that topic. He was actually going in. Yeah, yeah. He was excited. (laughs) Right. So our brain tends to put us into approach types, which we call appetitive. Like smell in the odor, taste, you want to get close to something, or aversive, right? Animals have this, humans have this. Okay. But if you think about the classic fetishes, all of those, feet historically had the potential to be sites of infection, right? Historically, not now, right? We wash our feet, we have socks, we have shoes. Dead bodies, obviously very infectious. What do we do with dead bodies? We we preserve them and we get them into the ground or we cremate them depending on your your leanings, whatever. Um, but you try and not get infected by them. This is all this has been known a long time. Things like feces are contagious, right? We know this. It's putrid or vomit. These things are Can putrid. Can we just They're keep it feet? I don't like being This is a harsh with, way to start <laughs> off the discussion. <laughs> no, no, but, so, just, you know. but if you think about it, all of these tend to evoke for most people an aversive response. You want to get away from it. Yeah. So there are people who have this appetitive approach to things that are very infectious. And a lot a lot of the fetishes that at their extreme reflect a kind of, I don't want to say miswiring, but a a flip in what normally happens, right? Mm-hmm. When you see vomit, you don't go, hmm, I'm going to take a sniff of that. But when yeah. you smell baked, fresh baked cookies, you're like, hmm, I'm going to take a, a smell. I'm going to yeah, bring that's in. that's how I feel about exactly. feet. Okay. Cookies. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so like cookies. So the, so the, <laughs> the thing here is people don't develop fetishes to like water bottles or to tables or to light posts. Uh, it's no always version. to things that, so there's this kind of edginess of it's like they're sort of dancing between aversive and appetitive, and that's what makes it edgy. L- leather is another fetish, right? And, you know, this has to do with, like, animal hides, people think. Now, a lot of this is speculation because okay. we don't really know how all of this evolved. But, okay, so that's extreme fetishes. But then there are people who have, like, they like a nice, clean, beautiful foot, Yo, the way you or said the, that, he's right? Exactly. Up. Like, you see like, me go appetitive, like, right, or whatever or, that was. Or the nice, or the contour. <laughs> I leaned in. Yeah. Or the contour. Yeah, that contour. Or the contour. Is arch. Yeah. The contour. Right. <laughs> His corridors are short right. now. Or, <laughs> you know, like the or the contour. Or you yeah. think about, um, like for some people, um, they they like they like toes, or they like, um, or they will like leather is like a turn on to them, right? Mm-hmm. Or a lot of a lot of what we think of as a appetitive kind of sexual arousal type things yeah. are right at that edge. Like, you know, everybody knows yeah. or should know, right? Yeah. I think it's well known that like a little bit of leg, like a little hint, like what's the slit up the side of the skirt? It's yeah. a hint, right? It's not, it's very different than, a, than you know, 
less clothing overall. It's yes. a hint at what's there. Yeah, yeah. And the way the nervous system works is through contrast. You know, you only see light objects through dark objects and so on. So this like playing of thing, the, the sort of playing of things that are- where you see each one of the toes. It's like, oh, oh that's a hint. Exactly, it's a, the hint, right. <laughs> so, so now we're into the realm of sort of like- with those things. Exactly. And sometimes on the that's subway, right. they'll like wiggle them oh, like that. I'm like, oh, you right. better stop that. Right. Yeah. So if you, look historic, <laughs> if you look historically at clothing, <laughs> you can think of like Victorian era clothing or like the high collar, everything covered, just the face, the pasty face. Or you think about, like if you watch that show, Mad Men, or when the, there are these lines in there where they're like, shorts are getting skirted, sh skirts, skirts are getting- Shorter, shorter, excuse yeah. me. Um, that's my Lex Dixia coming back. The, um, <laughs> but the, what you can imagine that during the 60s in particular and in the 70s, like clothing was moving from m less and less of a hint and more and more of a reveal. Nowadays, we are living in a time where there is a lot of reveal, yeah. right? I mean, it's pretty incredible, right? How much if clothing has evolved. Yeah. But so I do want to just frame up that there, there's like classic fetish that can actually be a yeah. clinical issue because people can't get aroused without exposing themselves to dangerous infection, right? That's Oof. sort of the extreme. But yeah. then there's this kind of subtle playing of, of hints and hinting and suggestion and like a miswiring, like right? counterintuitive to like Darwinism and evolution and all that? So no one really knows. I mean, like the, you're, the thing like I say is, listen, feet? I wasn't consulted the design phase for any of this, you know, <laughs> you know so like, I don't know. Right. But but there there does seem to be, uh, well, the human mating dance, right, is a very complicated thing, right? Yeah, you fire know, though. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complicated dance between, um, it's all about, obviously, it's about two things really. It's about possibility and it's about negotiating power, right? Mm. And there's been a lot of beautiful writings about this that, you know, when you, like think about objectifying somebody or that, let's say them objectifying you, mm. right? When objectifying someone is you want them, right? You desire them, but you don't need them for anything. You don't need them to pay your rent. You don't need them for emotional support. You don't need to be held. You don't need any of that. The, the closer you get to somebody, you form a real emotional bond. Yeah the harder it is to objectify them. They're no longer just an object. You're no longer just an object to them. So the, the human mating dance is one of, at first, objectification. Yeah. Anyone who argues different has yeah. uh, is probably not of our species. And then slowly over time, less and less objectification and more emotional dependence. But don't you think that you still need to objectify a little? So absolutely, in all of the For literature, them. like the, the person who's most commonly- um, I like being so objectified too. A little yeah, bit. and I think some people do and some people don't. I think that a lot of, there's a great book. It's got a terrible title, uh, in my opinion, um, but the, the book is called Can Love Last? It's written by a very serious psychologist that talks about this, that sexual attraction is, is uh, the thing of- objectification. But then as you enter into relationship, you lose that. And so a lot of times people will have affairs. People will start looking at pornography excessively instead yeah. of their person. So a lot of the, um, it, they give a really incredible example of how relationships can continue a long periods of time with a lot of excitement, like sexual excitement, but also healthy attachment yeah. by cycling in and out of objectification, yeah. attachment, objectification, attachment. You know, it's, it's tricky, right? Because everyone loves the when you get to the point in a relationship where you can just, just hang out, you just watch movies and stuff. Yeah. But then, you know, if, you, if you're not actually objectifying each other every once in a while, you need to. it can go really flat. 100%. And then we always hear like, oh, you know, after 20 years, they're no longer together. Or you see celebrity couples where one or both are like super attractive. And you're yes. like, he cheated on her? Yeah. Well, how could that possibly be? It's because the world objectified her. But at some point, they hit the kind of best friends mode, mm. you know? And so I think how that, do you stop that? 
Well, there's, okay, so there's a chemical version of all this that has to do with kids. And this, there are really cool data on this in humans. There's a hormone called prolactin. Mm-hmm. It's involved in milk letdown for um, nursing, you know, when mothers nurse. You know, but it's also released in men and women when they have kids. And it literally suppresses sexual desire and emphasizes laying down a body fat, making you more still. It's all there to direct your energy towards raising children. So the dad children. bod is like a The dad bod is a thing. physiological thing. I and, did that but, before I had kids. But yeah. and, and it happens before. <laughs> yeah. it, it's I'm in, nesting. What people, th- you see this in birds, you see this in humans. What people think <laughs> is that it's laying down of fat stores in order to anticipate the long nights yes. of no sleep. And when oh, you're, pr- you got to prioritize, shit. listen, our species is fundamentally about making more of ourselves yeah. and, and protecting our young. Yeah. Right? And? And? Food. And, f- and food. <laughs> I said feet. Oh, but I, I use them interchangeably. Food. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you say uh, So it's interesting. Also, okay, to, to thoroughly answer your foot question, yeah. if I were to look at the representation of your body surface in your brain, what that means is in your brain, you have a map of your body surface. Yeah. There are certain areas on your body that you have very little sensitivity. It's, we measure this by two-point two point discrimination, it's called. So what I do is I take two two fingers and I poke them against the middle of your back with you looking in the other direction. I'm behind you, poke like this. I say, how, how many places am I touching? You'd say two. But if I move them this far apart, you'd say one. Why? Because you don't, it's like you don't have many pixels back there. Uh, nope. okay. But if I do that on your hand, right? You have very high two-point discrimination. Two pins right next to each other, you say those are two points. What does this mean? In your brain, you have a lot more representation of certain areas of your body. Which areas of your body? Fingertips, lips, face, feet and genitals and the representation of the feet yeah. and the genitals in yeah. males and females is right next to each other in the brain this some people there's a guy at UC San Diego named, whose last name is Ramachandran his first name is even harder to pronounce oh, so I'm not going to try and what he showed or what, was that people who have uh, a foot amputated they have a phantom foot they sort of think yeah, it's still there and when they experience orgasm of oftentimes they will experience it in their phantom foot. Yep. So a lot of people, you know, part of the orgasm response is a curling back of the toes and a bunch of other things. Curling back? Yeah, curling back of the toes. What about forward? Oh, that means something's really, is that what happens? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, God, it's bro. Curling toes. Bro. Oh, no, right before you yeah. go. You're right. You're, no, if you're getting crazy head. I, I honestly haven't, I might have this backwards, but yeah. um, uh, if I do, I apologize. <laughs> I, think you got this, I don't think I've ever been like, like that. Like, huh. Maybe, you're, think, maybe like, you're backwards when you're coming. Which way are you facing? Yeah, I think I'm facing. Well, are you on? Mean, are you on all fours? I think it's curl the toes. Is what yeah, you always curl hear. the you toes. Maybe your um, uh, northern or southern hemisphere. Yeah, if you're in Australia, <laughs> it's like the toilet bowl, like twirling the other way. <laughs> Wait a minute, um, hold on, hold on. Do you spread your toes when you orgasm? Hold on, let me think about coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think sometimes I go out. You go sometimes, out? sometimes. Yeah, I think it varies. Wow, oh, yeah. how good the head is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's a high, there's a, I may have it wrong. I may have it wrong. I'm sure He's the, like, inter- I'm, sure the I'm sure the internet. I'm an intellectual. I'm sure I teach the, at one of the finest universities in the world. I'm, We're I'm talking sure. about toe curling with orgasms. Well, what's interesting is early on in my career, I studied sex differentiation and sexual behavior. Yeah, and, 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 you know, it's fundamental, right? We're all here because some sperm. <laughs> I did. I really did. We, we, we went to the same university. This we is were almost on, like an alumni podcast. Bro, for real. What was the most popular street? Del Playa. And Shore 4? Uh, DP. You know what I'm saying? Hey. Yeah. Yeah. 
I didn't live on DP. You didn't. No, but you I was there it. in the era. <laughs> you partied there. I was there in the era where people pushed houses off of cliffs on DP. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, and then a bunch of darkness happened later after I left, yeah, right? Yeah. The mass shootings and stuff. But After I left um, too. Oh, that was after you left? Yeah. 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 That town is an interesting mix of um, high For and low. Does it, it's one square mile that's located directly next to the school, and all the kids live there, and nobody but kids lives there, and it's right. an absolute debauchery. It is. I mean, it was crazy. During one time. of the, we had a storm that clogged all the storm drains, and people just bought rafts, and were literally like gongling. down the- And just the amount of alcohol consumed there is insane. There, yeah. there are no adults. There are no. just no adults. Yeah. It's a it's a wild, wild place. Um yeah. So your feet are very sensitive. Yeah. Your genitals are very sensitive. Your yeah. lips are very sensitive. And so these so-called erogenous zones are really just high sensitivity zones. So I'm what right? I'm I'm normal in other okay. words. Yeah. I don't, this, I don't I know about that. As long as you don't need feet. Are they weird that they don't like feet? I think y'all no. are the weird ones. Well, what do we do with people yeah. that yeah. like yeah. feet and let why him, should we lobotomize them? Let them answer. The um he said we're normal. So that's what I heard. Well, there's this idea of a, an arousal template, right? Like people have an array of things that to them are arousing. And for some people that arousal template is very narrow and very specific. Yeah. And that can be problematic, right? That means they have Mm. to find somebody or situations where that, you know, that works and and only that works. Yeah. Um, And there are safe ways that people can do that right now. They're like, um, I'm not on the apps because that's not my thing, but I, I research this a lot um, through other people. Um, Like there are now apps like that app, the newest one is this app Field, right? Uh-huh. Field is very much where people can be extremely specific about what they want. In fact, there are people now going on the internet who are only interested in sexting, for instance. People who are like, I oh, want yeah. people who want a relationship only to sex. Sexting right? fire. Or only I sexted to- my wife last week and she called me. She was like, did you mean to send me that? Was this where you were both at home? <laughs> no, I was like trying to be like cute and stuff. And she was like, wait, what the, what the fuck is going on? It's, it's, like, I think she thought I was cheating or something like that. She's like, why would you say that? I'm did like, you need oh, something to somebody you. else? Uh, you mean I had to send it to somebody yeah, else? Yeah, I did. Do you signal when you send those? I don't signal, but I, I, it was something like, when are you going to peg me again? He's a professional. I know. Come on. The, uh, yeah, that was well, another DM you got. Yeah, I, I learned from a friend who uh, was in the securities community for a long time that any thought that isn't in your head is available for download. And so that's, uh, that's scary. Um, oh, it's out there. It's out there. It's out there. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so basically there are fetishes of the strict like definition of fetish and yeah. think infectious stuff and, and that can be problematic. And then there are people have an arousal template, a bunch of things that they like, yeah, right? Just being the, you know, the, it's like the, how, the how narrow is your template? Yeah. And I think that um, most people would probably agree that having some, Range some diversity of that template. Like, like, look, some people like um, sweet, soft sex. Some people like rougher sex. Some people like an array of that. Some people are, you know, uh, and this is discussed in certain communities more than others, um, but some people are like pure dominant, pure submissive. Some people are are what they call switch, right? There's this um, there's this whole landscape. Yeah. And that's because a lot of the, like what people don't, the psychologists and the Freudian types really appreciated, and we understand a little bit from biology, is that there's also a power negotiation mm. in any kind of interaction, like sexual interaction, right? Mm. Because both people are making themselves very vulnerable. If you look at two dogs when they meet, let's just take animals, two dogs yeah. when they meet, yeah. what do they do? They sniff each other's genitals, and the more submissive one rolls back, opens their legs, and is like making their reproductive potential 
vulnerable to the other one uh. biting it off. And in the animal kingdom, a lot of animals hurt other animals, not yeah. by killing them. Yeah. They literally try and rip their testicles out. Uh, <laughs> I'm know? laughing because yeah. when I'm having sex, the first thing I do is roll <laughs> on my back. <laughs> so, Bite now, off now, these genitals. Now, wait. So, so it's interesting <laughs> because... My go-to move. <laughs> well, well, all the discussions around consent, all right, they're very valid nowadays because what we're really talking about is that there is inevitably a power negotiation. If I'm right? on my back, it's always consensual. Yeah, the, <laughs> right. Think about it. I, I, if I'm on my back, it's always consensual, right? If I'm on the bed like this, you waiting, can't argue the logic. Right. Well, it might yeah, not be consensual. consensual. So there is a phenomenon. Yeah. Um, there is a phenomenon. What can I even called, do? Called topping from topping from the bottom. <laughs> topping from topping the bottom. From the bottom. That's that. Now you're speaking my yeah. fucking language, <laughs> my boy. I'm on. That's me. So, bottom top. So, I'm on bottom top, bro. So I'm not a sex therapist, nor am I. Yeah, uh, but no, you, but, you but if, you, if you look at the, the, <laughs> the, the right so I look at everything through the lens of neuroscience. And so what we're really talking about is this brain area called the hypothalamus, which has a mix of neurons, some of them to stimulate mating behavior, some to yep. stimulate violent behavior, Whoa. some to stimulate eating and some to su stimulate suppression of appetite. Yep. You know, some people merge food and sex in their mind, right? They think chocolate and it's, and it could be because they learned, you know, maybe it was some, you know, <laughs> Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day every day with Alex yeah. Media. Right? <laughs> or, or <laughs> chocolate covered banana. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> Come on. Come on. Come on. I'm just saying they merge it. They merge yeah. it, bro. They yeah. merge it. What was that, that? They're coming for that chocolate. There was bro. this uh, movie, like, you know, things have changed now, yeah. but there was a movie in the, I think it was the 80s or the 90s, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was, uh, was it like nine and a half weeks with Mickey Rourke before his face like was all, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, and there was a scene, I think, where he was like feeding her, right? And then it led into sex. And that was considered one of the raciest scenes, like the most provocative scenes, just sort of like the basic instinct thing, the leg oh. cross, uncross Oof. thing. Like oh, yeah, yeah, now yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like yeah. nothing I mean, in no, terms no, of- No, that shit is still something. Rewatch de Decency oh, yeah. standards have, have changed, right? Oh yeah, um, you're saying now you could get away with that. But back then- Now that's like, I'm, I'm sure you could find that as a clip on YouTube, right? Yeah. Which is then you had to like, get into the rated R movie. It was a big deal. That People were nuts. talking about it and talking about it. Yeah. I mean, I, you just remember these kind of moments in movies and things have changed I a could lot. smell her through the screen. Wait, you went to 4D? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. When she's, <laughs> no, when that's she just how big his nose is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, food is, a, um, you know, so some people merge like flavors and yeah. sensuality in general. Yeah. Right? And it could be because they had an experience where it was an amazing meal, which led to a, you know, a, amazing sexual interaction, which led to a relationship. And so they, they link up to all of those experiences. That's just kind of, we're very... Pavlovian in that way. What the thing Can we that, do that to ourselves? What's that? Can we create Pavlovian reactions to ourselves? To oh, the things yeah. that we want. Well, and there's a dark side to this too, and yeah. it's something that I think, especially guys, young guys, have to be careful of. Which is nowadays the availability of pornography is nothing like it used to be, right? Yeah. Someone used to have a magazine or a video. Now there's access to pornography is just, you know, a couple, you know, thumbtaps to, to a couple people. Uh, uh, and people uh, yeah. can get very, you know, young people can develop a lot of their arousal template yeah. to very extreme experiences, right? Because of the availability of extreme porn to, and never actually have 
any real world experience. Yes. So if you think about it, their brains are becoming wired up to become aroused watching other people have sex. Instead of having sex themselves. Exactly. So they, they, no, they're, they're, I've heard people like oh, they need to watch porn in order to come. They, so they're having sex or even while to get watching arou- porn. Or even to get aroused. And, yeah. and I, and here, clinical I have to say, you know, that I get hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of questions, different health topics yeah. and science topics. One of the most common questions I get is how to quit porn addiction. And I would say about 25% of the people that I'm aware of based on those questions and a few people that I happen to know um, who are porn addicted are women. Yeah. And so, and it becomes an issue where, so there can be, so do you ask, can there become a like self-conditioned Pavlovian response? Yeah. It's like, absolutely. Anything that- Just to pre- clarify real yeah. quick for people listening, like what a Pavlovian Oh yeah, yeah. Is. So uh, Pavlov won the Nobel Prize, uh, the so-called Pavlov dog experiments where basically you offer an animal some food or the smell of food, it starts salivating. But right before that, you ring a bell. Yeah. And then pretty soon all you need to do is ring the bell and the animal starts salivating. Yeah. So now they're reacting to the bell ring, right. not the actual- oh, psychology major, UCSB. You know, baby, you know? we you out here. You could take the final exam now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to class together. Oh my goodness. It'd be amazing. Um, So I think that, you know, anytime, not I think. So you're saying we're doing that with porn. Well, and with any, any, anytime we experience a powerful emotional response or physical response. So that could be sexual arousal. It could be hunger. It could be um, fear. It could be excitement. Whatever preceded that becomes the thing that our brain basically thinks leads to that. Mm. So the brain is a prediction machine. Mm. So for, you know, and there's has all sorts of roots around trauma and things that could be positive or negative. So you can imagine that if every time, you know, um, your parent blinked and then they hit you when you were a kid, see that blink. you see someone blinking and you get kind of your heart rate goes up, et cetera, because yeah. the brain generalizes, but it wants to predict what's going to happen yeah. next. On the positive side, if every time you arrived at your grandmother's house, like you knew that there was going to be delicious food and you're going to feel very nourished, like no trauma, then, well, then, you know, just walking up to a doorbell of a similar home, you might find like, oh, I just feel good right now. We are very kind of crude in our wiring, right? Our brain generalizes to try and predict. So, but in terms of the extreme things like sexual arousal, if young, and I do say guys, it's women watch pornography also, that's been well-established, but I get a lot of questions from guys who are addicted to porn and who have challenges in sexual interactions in the real world because they either need that or they don't really understand. They haven't been socialized in terms of normal, consensual sexual mm. interactions. And I always say, you know, there's four, anytime we're talking about this sort of thing, we, the, the disclaimer is we're talking about age-appropriate, consensual, context-appropriate, species-appropriate, yeah. right? You know, yeah. throwing species-appropriate because, you know, there's all sorts of things out there. So- <laughs> um, Some Scottish people listening you know, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shouts <laughs> to my family. <laughs> uh, um, so I think that um, it's, it's interesting, you know, like extreme stuff of any kind, or even, for instance, people who get really into fetish-type sex or they get into, um, you know, having multiple, uh, they get really into threesomes, yeah, right? Yeah, this yeah. is a very, you know, as long as we're talking openly, there are a lot of people that I know who got really into this during the kind of early stages of the polyamory movement, yeah. right? So, hmm. you know, which started in the 70s but then came back again in the, like, early 2000s, and then they found that they could not get aroused with just one partner. And that's because their brain was so used to a certain yeah. set of things preceding this. That's extreme, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. you know, for some people, it's never less extreme. Never have I had less empathy for a person in my entire <laughs> than the guy who just can't get off without two girls. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
but but that person is rendered um, sometimes challenged with one person, sometimes yeah. not. Yeah. Right? It depends on the, how the diversity of their arousal template. Yeah. So I'm not saying porn but is bad, I, or 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 for some people, listen, right. it's it's but you know I, I don't think not it's my just, proclivity, yeah. but for some people, you know, polyamory is their thing. So yeah. we're not judging the behavior. What we're saying is the brain. Anytime there's a big release of is dopamine, wiring towards it. Yeah, every yeah. Like whatever preceded portfolio. it, you got to diversify. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Now, now, I, I don't think it's only with these extreme examples. I think a lot of times, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. But let's say you we open up Instagram or anything or TikTok, right? The algorithm is just feeding you attractive women, stunningly attractive women. And Seems to be just, feeding me like random bodega fights lately. Oh, that, yeah. I don't even know how that happened. That, that, like, there you go. I think I watched like Say a that. Michael Rappaport you clip or something. And now that? all I'm getting is, yeah. is like bodega violence. Yeah. And like I didn't ask for this. Yeah. Like bodega violence and like and um and badly proportioned male bodybuilders. Like I didn't look oh, this stuff yeah, up. Yeah. Like what is going on? Interesting. Yeah. I'm getting thoughts. We need to change. We need to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, phones. I'm just we need to thoughts. swap. We really phones. need to do that immediately. But I guess what I'm saying is I'm seeing all this. Right, and I'm like, I think this is unhealthy for me mm-hmm. because I'm just seeing all these these girls that are filtered. Their bodies are filtered. They have plastic surgery. They have makeup. Not one of these girls is naturally looking this way, and I think it's tricking my brain to not even tricking my brain, but there is this reaction where I'm like, oh, this is normalcy. You know, people obviously have have um, you know attraction to different different phenotypes. Do they know? They do. One hundred percent. They do absolutely. Because my boxing trainer likes them thick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and some people, some people um, like pe- people that question. are curvier. But I, I think that that's a function of something else. Some women um, uh, warm report. Uh, <laughs> I think he wants more warmth in the winter. Because in the summer he doesn't like thick girls as much. But in the winter, <laughs> there's a seasonality. To I'm being. I think he wants a warmer. Bed. It actually makes yeah. sense. Yeah, he's this Egyptian dude, and he's just like I don't. I don't think he knows how to. He's this awesome, amazing boxer, but I don't know if he knows how to work his uh, <laughs> radiator or whatever like that. Uh, so I think yeah. in in the in the winter, it's like he wants a little bit more someone to get cozy with. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know that the phrase three. I bought him a blanket, and he was like, yeah, "Okay, this is good too." Well, you know the phrase three dog night" originates. Three dog night." That phrase originates because it used to be that people would sleep with three dogs in order to stay warm. <laughs> really? Yeah. Actual animals. Because you need three of them in order to stay warm. Yeah, animals used to be for work, not for for pets. Eventually, now they're bred to basically be like there as little. It's like now, especially in New York, I feel like dogs are like 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 they're like an accessory. Oh yeah. Which I don't like because I'm a huge animal lover. I don't like when people because I need to see people take real really good care of animals. When I see animals that are badly taken care of, there's this part of me that wants to steal them. Yeah, and, uh, give yeah. them away. Oh, the like people the guys that, pushing the fucking dog in the the stroller. Have you seen that? That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, that's all depriving an animal of, of its thing. ability it's the craziest to walk. Craziest thing. Yeah. yeah, homeless people actually are some of the best do- pet owners. Have you ever seen the way, like how obedient their pets can be it, compared to some of the 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 rich people shocking. in major cities? Fucking the way that, the way that their their dogs can't behave. They got these oh, kavapoos yeah. that go crazy. Well, yeah. the kavapoos like are pretty rich mellow, people but whose dogs but, can't behave. I wonder. But you can also. <laughs> but, but I do think <laughs> people do like different uh, biological <laughs> shapes. People yeah. like different shapes. So there's yeah. a guy down at UT Austin who's one of the founders of evolutionary biology, um, David Buss. And, yeah, you know, the th- there is a, Texas. it's a ratio issue. So there is this thing about, um, you know, what signals fertility, right? Oh, yeah. Now, and then with women, they'll report, you know, that some women like guys that are really heavily muscled and some like men that are more more svelte, more, you know, <laughs> more slim, right? You know, and- uh, <laughs> Svelte. 
<laughs> Svelte is crazy. Yeah. Um, Imagine your girl described you as Svelte. <laughs> um, no, you're Svelte. Yeah. You got a good body. Yeah. I, don't want, I don't want that yeah. Jack Brad Pitt guy. Yeah, I like a Svelte the guy. Svelte guy. Yeah. And this is changing too. On like, your back. <laughs> like guys, that, well, I thought it was you that's on your back. That's yeah, me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, she was telling me in that situation. So I think that the, uh, uh, you know, it's all changing. Like now, um, because of action movies, there's this tendency for, especially young guys to think that they have to look like action heroes, yeah, right? like Mark. Like they want to be really muscled out. Yeah. But, you know, That's in reality, when it, it doesn't, on average, right? So everything- average women don't want. Everything are averages. Everything are averages. <laughs> and, then, and then remember- <laughs> These guys don't eat anything. They're eating so much. They're trying to put on all this weight and stuff like that. Girls don't like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're fucking Evolutionarily, pissed. aren't women more attracted to the ability? It's all- Ability to provide for offspring, right? So for men, it's okay. portions that can give me offspring. For women, it's who can make the money yeah. to take care of our offspring. <laughs> yeah. So what's interesting is if you evolutionarily. So not here I'm about pistol practice. length too. So here is that I'm, I'm, I'm. So here I'm. Well, well, okay. It, it used to be that people would wear belts with sash, well, like with like a long belt hanging yeah. out. That was, like, I mean, or swords, like the length of swords and look things like that. Look There's at, a whole literally look what he has. There's a whole literature on this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not in my arousal time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, you know, while we're talking about pistols real quick, yeah. that was something I noticed when we went to your show. There were so many beautiful women at this show. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, this is really cool. Like, women are interested in, like, neuroscience and everything that you have to do. And then you stepped on stage mm. and you had the Bulge working, bro. It was crazy. Literally, yeah. what did I? I literally messaged Mark. I was like, I can't even concentrate. I saw right. the message too. Everyone was taking notes on the lecture. And no, I the girls were zooming in. Bulge. There were two girls yeah, in they're, front they're of us. They're joking. Folks. No, they no, were. No, 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 no. You were wearing black, which is slimming, but not that day. It was crazy. <laughs> and the girls were zooming in. Oh, no. We were fourth row. Yes. It was. Oh, yeah. And then, and then you turned around and showed off the hee haw. Yeah, yeah, you did, dude. No, you were packing that day, man. You were absolutely <laughs> packing. Yeah. Do you fluff before the show? <laughs> Dude, if I'm just saying, it was it was abnormal. It was uh, abnormal. <laughs> you had you had a little cuttlefish in there. <laughs> and we can talk about cuttlefish. That, I know. That's one of my story. favorite topics. Is in that the what world. you call it? Your cuttlefish. <laughs> that's the cuttlefish come for a cuttle. Um, <laughs> it's objectification. That's all it is. Objectification. <laughs> this is what it feels like. <laughs> Again, he's like, how long do I have to be here? <laughs> Why did I give him my son? <laughs> um. <laughs> No. <laughs> you got the doctor's speech. Yeah. No. We just had to talk about the root. <laughs> but for real. No, you did. You brought one of them redwoods on the stage at the Beacon Theater. It was crazy. <laughs> that was crazy because we were trying to learn some things, yeah. right? And you were trying to hammer. Yeah. That's where nootropics come from, bro. You know? <laughs> He's a donor. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's be serious. Let's be serious. Can we be We're serious right now? Discussion. Can we be serious? I really have a genuinely serious this question. This is a doctor, yeah. please. What? When you say you have to stare at the sun, <laughs> you don't mean it. No. 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 Right? Okay, so um, thanks for taking us out of that deep water. You're welcome. Um, How so, deep was it? <laughs> um, to close the hatch on on range yeah. uh, on um, on ranges. So there there are there are a number. 
There, there are also issues of, of sort of body type <laughs> preference and, and safety. And, yeah. I'm, and by safety, I mean two different things, right? Yeah. I mean- Safety for the woman. Like. Safe, and, and listen, and for the man. Some, yep. Listen, there's a, there's a really interesting literature about this. If you, if you look at sort of who people select to have sex with versus who people select to try and form long-term relationships with them, I mean, there are many men who would not choose to be with the woman that is most attractive to everybody because they don't have the confidence they could keep her. That's, that's right? a good point. Even if she's not a flirt and wouldn't, and wouldn't be looking, right? Even if she didn't have a wandering eye. Some men deliberately wouldn't want to be with the most beautiful. People oh. tend to match up pretty closely in terms of attractiveness. Pretty closely. Oh. Pretty closely. Not, not always. It's yeah. not because the and pretty then ones there, are airheads. But you asked about income, and I want to make sure that, because I had David Buss on my podcast, and he's really the expert on this, so um, we're going to have to fact check this with him. Yeah. Um, but- Yes, it's true that resource potential is an important variable because people have to think about safety and childcare and a number of things. It's but of course, the only way I but have women work wife. too, right? Women can work too, right? They can opt to work and make money. But more often than more important than any other feature across all cultures is that the woman reports that she sought someone who is kind to them. Not necessarily kind to everybody, but, but kind, kind to them. To them mm. Right? Kind to them. Okay, so even if you think of like extreme money, right? Extreme money, or you think of extreme bodies or extreme resources, right? That somebody has. Women, in terms of who they tend to pair up with long-term, assuming heterosexual, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're heterosexual because here we're making a bunch of assumptions. But in that, in that mold, what is shown up over and over again in the data is that their top priority is that someone be kind to them. Mm. In other words, they're not interested in being with someone who's really wealthy who treats them like garbage. Is that And also- I think this gets lost because people think, oh, it's all about money. It's not all about money. Okay. It's, about, it's about safety and kindness because you're talking about a long-term bond. Right. Yeah. Now, the, then people say, well, what about this notion of gold diggers? And by the way, there are male and female gold diggers. There are, I mean, I had friends in college who, who, who would say things Ups. like they wanted to marry a really wealthy woman. I was like, really? That's in, I just heard this from a few people. I was like, wow, you're thinking about that as your primary concern? They're like, no, but it would be great. I would hear people say that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, they're also the female to male version of that. Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's actually pretty rare, yeah. right? It's about safety and resources. And this also varies by culture, whether or not women tend to work or not work. But overall, again, I don't, you know, I don't mean to, you know, be a dead horse with this, but it's really that kindness towards them is critical, but not necessarily kindness to everybody. Is that tied to reproductive success also? And that like, if he's kind to me, he'll be kind to my kids and they have a better chance of surviving. I, I, yeah. We're, we're doing a bit of a just so story there. Like we, I don't know exactly don't what the know, experiment yeah. would look like. And it, I'm sure the experiment's been done, but I have to assume yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the last thing you want is someone with a ton of reproductive potential, resource potential, yeah. who's going to treat you like garbage, chances are they're not going to stay with you. Yeah. Or you're going to be there, but then they're going to have a, they're going to bring in other mates. Yeah. You know? And so and when you look at the roots of jealousy and, and concerns about infidelity, or you look at the roots of sort of like concerns about resource potential and all that, it all kind of makes sense in this very old fashioned model. It also makes sense in, in the model that we live in now, the kindness toward each other is fundamentally the most important variable, mm-hmm. which is kind of reassuring. I don't say that to be politically correct. That's how the data fall out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that never gets discussed because it's not as edgy as thinking like, oh yeah, it's all about money. It's all about beauty. It's all about this. It's, it's about the Lamborghini. It's like, no, like how is, he, how is he gonna treat you? And yeah. so there's also something very special to people 
about the other person who is very desired by a lot of people treating them particularly nicely. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, the, you hear this notion of being picked, right? Yeah. And there's mutual picking. And everything is changing now too, right? I mean, the way that, that you know, there's da- there are apps like Bumble where women actually have to say, that it's yes, I will talk to you, right? Yeah. It's not a bi-directional conversation. There's an asymmetric conversation. Yeah. So again, not on the apps, but I'm fascinated by this because it's human dating behavior, but it's always going to be through the filter of biology. Well, maybe you can answer this because you're a neuroscientist. So can the brain outpace evolution where we have millions of years of evolution that men say, I'm attracted to these proportions that will nourish my kids the best. And women say, I'm attracted to these features that say he'll take care of my kids. Now society's changing in the last 70 years, crazy rate of change. All this is is fuck is like getting changed up. Can your brain outpace your evolution, which has been hardwired for millions of years, and say, you know what, I don't care about all these things? Um, well, people can make so we have this real estate in our brain right behind our forehead um, called the prefrontal cortex, and it's your rule setting machine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can create new rules for what's going to drive your behavior. Like we can decide that what's important in a given set of situations is blank. You actually see this, right? If people go away on retreats or they go to some event and there's only, you know, let's say, again, we're assuming heterosexual relationships here, 10 men and 10 women, they're all heterosexual. Mm -hmm. You know, who you find most attractive will be gauged against the other nine, right? Mm -hmm. Right? And so, but in a world in New York City, Right, yeah. then the mean is that the distribution is much broader, and the mean is shifted, perhaps. Right, and so you can you can't beat evolution. You're always going to be constrained by brain wiring, but you can condition certain things. And also, sometimes people are selecting for somebody who's really nice, really funny. We get along so well. I mean, there are other criteria, right? I'm just trying to get you to say it's okay for us to be shallow, really. At the end of the <laughs> I mean, day, it's it's as okay Basically. to be shallow as being shallow is as important to you. Right. There are people who um, are like, they have their list, right? They're like, I want to be with someone who graduated college or I don't care, or I want to be with somebody who, you know, is physically attracted to, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the reality is that no matter how attracted two people are to one another, like at some point it becomes familiar, Mm -hmm. but there are certain people like I would put, I'll just disclosure. I'm actually become in a relationship relationship, monogamous relationship, actually become more attracted to the person I'm with. And I think it's something through the nose. It's like a pheromone thing. Yeah, I become very conditioned to them, right? It's not that no one else becomes attracted to me, but I become very conditioned to them. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that everyone's like that. I've only been me, but I know that there are some people that get really restless after they've been with the same person for a little mm. while. And sometimes that's psychological, like they never got it out of their system. They married the first person they were with. And other times it could be physiological. You know, so so there's a lot of range on these. I mean, the biology constrains it to answer your question. It constrains it, it sets some outer bounds on this. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think, for instance, that we can become attracted to like tree frogs, for instance, just because we decide that they're the only option. Have you been to India? (laughs) Uh, That's true. I have not. No, they did. They had uh, 14 dudes raped the lizard. You didn't hear about this? I was trying to make a little joke here, and <laughs> but no, for real, be They're, doing another study. In this is a joke weeks. on the. No, this is right? not a joke. There are these these guys that gang raped a lizard and then ate it afterward. How big was this lizard? 
I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Fun that's, question. That's an interesting follow-up, yeah, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. Excellent question. Really. That is a good, that is very important. I, I don't think anyone's thought to ask. When I was a kid, yeah. you occasionally catch a lizard, but it was like a little lizard. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, Warmer that's because he's like, no lizard is big enough for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're not fitting in a lizard, dude. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. There's no fucking way. That's the first question. Take this guy to King's Landing. Yeah, exactly. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. You need a dragon. Game of Thrones. Game of the dragons. That's what yeah. they're yeah, saying. That's, that's the lizard you need. Yeah, you need the big one. You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> so, the, um, so there's some there are limits, right? Just yeah. like anything, right? It's sort of like food, right? Yeah. I mean, could I get used? Like I, I like fermented food. So like uh, I love kimchi and mm. I love Korean food and like, yeah. but like Japanese natto. The first time I tried that, I was like, wow, it's really like stringy, like it's kind of mucusy. But I ate it a few times. I kind of got to like nah, same thing with the, the uni, mm. the yeah. urchin. Not first, into it, right? Hate it. Uh, everyone was like, you have it. to try. You have to yeah. try. And I was like, this just tastes like bad tong yeah and like it's just but now over time i've gotten a little more used to it a little more used to it. but it's it's just barely in bounds for me mm-hmm. whereas people love it right and that's prefrontal cortex conditioning you can you can override things to some extent now there is a, an asymmetry to all this so if you ever get sick eating something you have a really bad experience yeah, yeah. even a bad experience in yep. a city i have yep. some friends that visit san francisco i texted them be careful don't leave your computers in your car they wrote back too late. They had 11 laptops stolen. They'll break into your car in the middle of the day in front of cops. They don't care, okay? They hate San Francisco. That's one incident well, on one right. street. Those guys in are right. In one they're street, just... right? Now, some people, they have a bad meal at like, um, is House of Nanking still here? That Chinese restaurant that serves kanji in the middle of the night. So good. Okay. So good. Like, I will forever have good associations to that place. Yeah. And, you know, I've had that. Like, I got right? really drunk and... Uh, or I was uh, really hungover or something like that. Like, I threw up the food that I had eaten yeah. that night. You're never going near it. Or, like, it. you and drink fireballs. It years. Have it's a called one-trial conditioning. It took me years. Yeah, it's I, like a hot flame. You're never going it. near it again. And it was uh, ramen. Right. I had ramen. And right. it literally took me maybe 10 years before I had ramen again. And now I can eat it, yeah. and I don't associate it. But for those 10 years, all I thought of was that exact smell and flavor. Exactly. Ugh. So you still get it. Yep. There's that aversive thing. Mm. That, and, and notice, like, the, the, it's like we tend to close up the various yeah, holes that is interesting. Right, that we have. When we, when we see something we really like, like if I see puke on the street, and, and sorry to use these yeah. extreme examples, but hopefully that they'll resonate with people. I'm like, ugh, like you cringe, you close up your airways. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because it's infectious. Now remember, when you smell something, good or bad, you are literally inhaling the molecules yeah. from that thing. And so like this always gets people because they're like, oh, it smells like, Shit, you yeah. know, and that's like you're literally inhaling Breathing little shit. bits of feces. Fart and everybody smells it. They're taking unfortunately, in my ass. yeah, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Okay, unfortunately. now back to just looking at the sun. You don't literally want me to stare at this fucking sun. No. Okay, so the reason I encourage people to get sunlight in their eyes, especially early in the day, is that it helps wake you up. It improves your mood, improves hormone output, improves focus. It's good for so many aspects of but biology. But how do I do and it, it helps you, hurting And it helps eyes. you sleep at night. Okay, so what you want to do, people have different levels of sensitivity. You want to look in the general direction of the sun. Okay. If it's low in the sky, it's no problem. You could literally look at it like this. Now, the higher it gets in the sky, the more imposing it is, and you'll want to close your eyes. If it if it forces you to blink, you need to look away from it a little bit. Indirect light is fine on a real really clear day. Yeah. Um, if it's... If it's very, very bright and you need to blink, blink. I'd say take your sunglasses off for doing this. Eyeglasses and contacts are fine. And after, you know, two, three minutes, you're good. Mm -hmm. And if you're walking to work in the morning, it's a nice sunny morning, but the sun, you know, it's New York, so a lot of the sun's blocked by these big buildings. 
you just get the indirect sunlight. And that's okay yeah, too? That's okay. But through a window, these tinted windows that are everywhere here or through a windshield, it's not going to happen. It's yeah. just never going to set this this mechanism uh, in the ways you need. So if you, you know, watching a sunset, you can literally watch it. Yeah. Right? Isla Vista, we used to watch sunsets, right? Yeah. Right. disappear off Del Playa with the oil rigs out there. And every, for the people who don't know, there are these oil platforms that sit off the beach in Santa Barbara and they, it seeps up all this tar. Mm. Um, but it's very beautiful sunsets out there. And you can look directly at it when the sun is low yeah. in the sky. Um, when the sun is overhead is t when it tends to be really bright. Don't stare at it directly. And what is the advantage of this? It just wakes you up or something besides so, that? So you have neurons, nerve cells in your eye that connect, that when that sunlight hits them, they send a signal to your brain that's a wake-up signal. Gotcha. Improves your mood, increases testosterone, it um, increases metabolism, it lets you focus better, and it sets a timer so that you can fall to sleep fall asleep at night about 12 to 16 hours later. If you're not getting light in your eyes, and if you wake up and you're just on your phone, that's fine if the sun isn't out. But if you're on your phone for the first two hours a day and then you get outside and get sunlight and the sun's already overhead and you're, you go out with your sunglasses on, that kind of thing, you're, you're going to find it's very hard to fall asleep that night. Because you're not setting the timer. That's right. Oh. Think of the morning, the morning bright light as your wake-up signal. Got you. Get as much sunlight in your eyes as you safely can throughout the day. I wear sunglasses, but not when I do this morning sunlight viewing. And then in the evening, try and catch some sun before it goes down. In the winter, obviously, that's going to happen earlier. Yeah. And then at night, you really want to try and dim the lights. It'd be, I always say, like like the fighters at the fight last night, like we're, wearing sunglasses. Yeah. You know, dim dim the lights, dim the dim the screens um, between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. Now, look, you guys were at the fight last night. I happen to be there too. I'm sort of a new UFC fan, uh, so I'm not very educated on this. But it was really bright. It's not a big deal every once in a while yeah. to get stay up late. I was up till yeah. one thirty, which for me is very late. But you know, eight, I would say eighty percent of the days and nights of your life, get some sunlight in your eyes and try and dim the lights at night. But I mean, you're in New York, yeah. bright lights, big city, yeah. right? So you're going to have to do a little bit more sunlight viewing in the early part of the day. Okay. And if you wake up and the sun isn't out yet, you know. Once it's out, get out there. Okay. That's, yeah, it has, it has huge outside positive in. effects I'm, on your I health. I get it now because you I will, didn't you understand won't believe it. First. Like a lot of guys are, or and women say, "Oh, you know, I don't feel well. I'm having trouble focusing. I'm having trouble sleeping." Yeah. Before we could get into any discussion about supplements or hormone therapy or ice baths and saunas, all that stuff is great. But the number one thing for health is going to be quality sleep. And the best way to get quality sleep is to get sunlight in your eyes early in the day. And on cloudy days, when you can't see the sun, people always say, there's no sun here. I'm like, the sun is still there. Yeah. It's just, and you get a lot of sun through that those clouds. Just get outside a little bit longer. All right, guys, we're going to take a break real quick so I can tell you about Rocket Money, formerly Truebill. Rocket Money is an all-in-one finance platform that helps you save more and spend less. This personal finance app allows you to manage subscriptions, lower bills, build a custom budget, and grow your savings all in one place. I use Rocket Money to cancel unwanted subscriptions. Safely and securely, it identifies recurring charges and cancels unwanted subscriptions for me. I don't have to do anything, just to tap. I never even have to get on the phone. It also lowers my bills. I upload a photo and tap a button and Rocket Money will negotiate my bills for me from internet service to cable bills to phone bills. Whatever you need, it can lower your bills. It also monitors your credit and alerts you of important changes that could impact your score. Now, to save more and spend less and join the other 3.4 million members using Rocket Money, all you gotta do is go to rocketmoney.com flagrant to get started for free or unlock even more features with premium. That's rocketmoney.com flagrant to get started for free. Now let's get back 
to the chur. Also, guys, I need to tell you about some dates I got. Caroline's this weekend, New York City. I'm performing. You've been begging me for a show for years. I'm headlining. We have already sold out the Saturday early shows. Limited tickets available on the other shows. That is this weekend, November 17th through the 19th. Then, December 1st, I'm going to be in Tempe, Arizona. And January 14th, super excited about this. I'm going to be at the Wilbur Theater. We will sell these tickets out. You need to get them now. And January 20, uh, and January 21st and 22nd, I'm gonna be in Vegas. I'm not supposed to announce that, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Who cares? Get your tickets at akashsing.com. Now let's get back to the show. Now everybody, and I think that this is partially because of you, everybody right now is obsessed with sleep and recovery. Right. And I think you're about to absolutely destroy the alcohol industry. Yeah. Please yeah. tell me why alcohol is so bad for recovery, or is it smarter it. to? Yeah, is it smarter to go to talk about sleep and recovery first, and then talk about? Well, we can make some general statements about sleep that dovetail with the alcohol thing. And look, I'm not anti-alcohol. I I don't have an alcohol problem. I have a drink every once in a while, no big deal. But I'm one of these people that can either do it or not do it. Yeah. Um, and it does. Whereas some people they really enjoy alcohol. Yeah. I'm not one of those people. It's just never been my thing. Um, but in any case, sleep meaning getting enough quality sleep, eighty percent of the nights of your life. And I always say the other twenty percent just try and make the fact that you're not getting enough sleep for fun reasons, out with friends, relationship. Like ideally, it's not because you're lying in bed stressing or et cetera. But try and get enough quality sleep 80% of the nights of your life. How much sleep do you need? Enough to feel rested during the day. Maybe you need a short nap. Napping's great as long as it doesn't screw up your nighttime sleep. How long should a nap be? No longer than 90 minutes. And if you can't nap, don't, don't worry about it. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, you don't have to be a napper. But a lot of people need a nap in the early afternoon or late afternoon in order to reset. That's totally normal. It has to do with body temperature regulation. Oh, as your body temperature goes up in the afternoon and then starts to drop, you tend to get a little bit sleepy. One way to avoid the afternoon crash, by the way, is don't drink caffeine for the first hour and a half to two hours after you wake up. Let a bunch of the sleepy molecules get cleared away. Sleepy molecules, things like adenosine, blah, blah, blah. And then drink your caffeine. At first, it's kind of painful to do, but you'll just go all day feeling great. It's pretty, pretty fantastic. <clears throat> now, alcohol disrupts the architecture, the quality of your sleep. You can fall asleep, but the sleep you get is not restorative. And the first part of your night when you sleep is really for repair of the body, growth hormone release, et cetera. The second half is when two things happen. One is you tend to have dreams that are very emotionally laden, but you are paralyzed. You have sleep atonia. Um, you can't move. And it's a kind of trauma therapy. You actually, if you ever had like a disturbing interaction or something's bothering you, if you get a few nights good sleep, you're like, okay, like it's, it's like water under the bridge. If you don't, people tend to kind of maintain the emotional load of things. Mm -hmm. Now, the sleep atonia is kind of interesting. Has anyone here ever um, woken up and you were still paralyzed? Uh, yeah. And yeah, then you jolt? to my wife. It's terrifying. Yeah. Well, it happens more often to cannabis users. But it's, uh, it's not uncommon for, for non-cannabis users too. So you wake up and it's just like you kind of jolt awake. Um, it's pretty terrifying actually to be wide awake, but you can't move. But that's what it's like in that second half of the night of sleep. If you drink alcohol, you tend to screw up the first part of the night of sleep. And so the physical repair doesn't happen as well. Now, look, I'm not telling you saying like you can never have a glass of wine or a cocktail or something. It depends on how many other healthy things you're doing and how many yeah, other unhealthy things. This is important. Yeah. So, you know, if you were to be really strict, you'd say the data point to the fact that no alcohol is better for your 
immediate and long-term health than any alcohol. And people say, well, red wine's good. And in these blue zones where people live to be 110, they're doing a lot of other things too. The, the reality is the resveratrol in red wine, you'd have to drink so much red wine in order to get the resveratrol. You'd be drinking all day. It's, yeah. it's just an, that argument is feeble. But if you're going to drink, you can probably have two drinks, maybe three per week, no problem. No problem. Uh, total drinks per week. Per week. Per week. But if you're <laughs> yes. going to drink more than that, and I'm not, t- listen, I don't tell people what to do. I just say, you know, but know what you're doing, right? Yeah. If you're going to do that, then you probably want to make some effort to do other things right. For instance, I would hope that people are avoiding hard drugs like cocaine and amphetamine. Yeah. Why? Because they lead to huge increases in dopamine that basically reward only one thing, cocaine and amphetamine. And over time, everything else feels a little weak in comparison, um. right? It is, it's an extreme experience that you didn't really have to earn, right? There's nothing earned. And so you tend, then everything else seems a little bit weak. And so cocaine and amphetamine are very, very That's bad. It. And opioids are just really bad. And the fentanyl thing now is super Terrible. scary. Yeah. We're young people, old people that are just dying. So yeah. let's just like put those in heroin. Let's just put those in a category of like, yeah. let's not even entertain. There are people- Adderall's in that thing too? Well, Adderall, it's crazy. Whenever I come to New York and whenever I run into the, the investment banker types, especially yeah. the young guys, like Adderall is big out oh, here. Yeah. Big, big, big. And a lot, um, New York City's Adderall culture. Like, you're not even just, it's any job at an office, you're probably doing Adderall. Yeah, it's the cocaine, it's prescription cocaine, basically. Yeah. yeah, I am, you know, unless you have clinically diagnosed ADHD, I would, you know, steer clear of Adderall, Vyvanse, even modafinil, occasionally use of modafinil, which was developed for narcolepsy and things like that. Maybe for certain, it's very, modafinil is very expensive, prohibitively expensive for most people. There are certain supplements that work, not as well, but things like alpha GPC, which are safer, 300 milligrams of alpha GPC. Um, but listen, I, there, I have a colleague who won a Nobel Prize. He's a professor at Columbia. Everyone in our business knows that he chews like five or six pieces of Nicorette a day because when he was a smoker, nicotine is an amazing nootropic. Love, love. But the, the delivery device will kill you. Vaping's not good for you. Smoking's not good for you. Dipping's not good for you. Snuffing's not good for you. In Scandinavia, they use the little Zin pouches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look. I'm not going to push nicotine on people, but the reason I take alpha GPC to work every once in a while is because it stimulates nicotine release and you can focus like a laser and I don't need it, but I do enjoy it every once in a while. And it's safe-ish for me. You know, obviously people have to decide what's safe for them, but you know, nicotine is a, focuses the brain in in an incredible way. Um, Adderall, you know, the problem is, is very addictive because there's nothing like that narrow tunnel of focus I've that you heard get it's from like Adderall. the limitless drug. I took actually maybe I took a full at Burning Man. Yeah. But I didn't feel that as much. But I've heard if you got work to do, it's fucking you're it's done. Yeah, you're in the tunnel and and so it becomes a used so there's use, there's dependency, and then there's addiction. Right. And addiction I define, and this is based on the biology of it, but we don't have to get into that right now because we've done long episodes of that. Some of the episodes of my podcast are so long, they're like going to cure insomnia for sure. But, the, <laughs> but you know, addiction in my mind is, as the biology says, it's a progressive narrowing of the things that bring you pleasure. And it's also a progressive narrowing of the things that bring you the effect you want. Mm-hmm. It's like the fetish thing, right? Are you addicted to boots? You know, boots is the other one. Right, uh, like some people have a boot fetish. No, no. Yeah. Take the boot off, yeah. sock off. Let's the, get to work. Yeah, he likes the feet. You need the boot off. Or the Unless there's a little window, one toe showing. I like oh, Andrew's there. Yeah. The, um, but, you know, if you need Adderall in order to focus, you're becoming dependent. Are you addicted? 
Well, I don't know. It depends. But yesterday I ran into a guy on the street and uh, we were talking about this and he said he's he's off Adderall now, but he has to go to AA and NA meetings in order to stay sober. So that tells me he's, you know, this is serious. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the current estimate is that more than 80, 80, 80% of college students take Adderall, Vivance, or, you know, um, Ritalin at some point. So it's, it's amphetamine. And I, you know, if people are struggling with it, you know, one incentive to, to get off of it is that it's not good for your heart. It tends to push all the blood towards sort of core organs. It's like stress response. Because when you're stressed, your pupils get big and your vision gets like, you know, this narrow. That's why they put blinders on horses so that they don't look around and focus on other things. Um, I mean, it'll, it'll, uh, it'll shrink the penis, you know, not permanently, but it causes vasoconstriction, right? It's the opposite of things that cause vasodilation. So you've never taken Adderall. <laughs> I've never taken Adderall, never taken Vyvanse. I took- Oh, um, I know. I tried, I tried um, uh, Armodafinil once. I got a prescription for Armodafinil. And um, I took it and I had to give a lecture that day and I couldn't stop lecturing. Hmm. It was a problem for me anyway. But um, I just was- just so in the tunnel. I didn't like it. it. Gave me a brutal headache. I don't think I'd ever do it again. But I like caffeine. I think caffeine, healthy use. Yeah. Caffeine's amazing. It's amazing that nicotine has its place for certain people. It's protect. Nicotine is protective against Parkinson's. Yeah, it has neuroprotective effects. But I don't think people should be smoking, dipping, vaping, and and snuffing. And, and, and nobody snuffs anymore. Snuff, I think, is they literally put the tobacco yeah. up the nose. Yeah. How um, much caffeine is too much caffeine? Is there an amount? Oh, I did too much. You know, if you spread it out, the, the amount that doesn't let you sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the timing counts there too. And nowadays they put um, theanine in energy drinks because it takes the jitters off, which allows you to drink more rocks, you know, I'm not going to name brands, but uh, more energy drink. That's so, not a bad thing, theanine in and of itself. No, theanine's right? great in and of yeah. itself. Yeah, theanine's great. Um, and, you know, for sleep, magnesium 3 and theanine, apigenin, inositol, those things work well. I'd rather see people use supplements like that than rely heavily on melatonin, Ambien, you know, and any barbiturates. Okay, but, okay, but you're what, drinking. Yeah. You want to drink. So let yeah. me just ask you this. So in order to be happy at this stage of your life, how many drinks do you need per week? One, beer, wine, or one cocktail each representing one? And just, you know. Like, like, I didn't drink for 10 years. I don't need, like when I was in Santa Barbara, I didn't drink. Yeah, so like... Wait, really? Yeah, I mean, I drank Everyone maybe, is, maybe like the first two years. By the time that was legal for me to drink, I didn't drink. Then you became a pothead in Europe. Yeah. And you might have been the person in Isla yeah. Vista that didn't drink. Yeah. When we, I don't yeah. drink. When we first met, he didn't drink, he didn't smoke weed, he didn't do anything. Yeah. For yeah. years. Did, what were you into? Nothing. Surfing and... Comedy. Comedy. That's where you picked up comedy. Yeah, feet. Yeah, no, no. no, no. Where did you do comedy? There? I did comedy in Santa Barbara for the first time. Where, but like where? Where is a restaurant there called uh, Bricks Cafe that oh, yeah. I was managing. And, uh, wow. And uh, yeah, they had a comedy night and I just tried it out. And I did it when I got back. But, but yeah, so it's like I cannot drink very easily, though I do like drinking. And I, I think it's fun. I think it's cool. I think it's a nice, like it's a quick disassociation. I actually prefer weed, but I just get such a hangover from it the next day. Like I get like really affected by it. it makes me like really insecure and anxious the next day. Well, cannabis, so just briefly, like cannabis is a mixture of THC and CBD. And then uh, I did an episode on this. And nowadays, you know, there's more THC in some of them and some CBD. And the cannabis can be of the sativa type or the indica type. Indica tends to be 
in general, and the pot smokers always come after me about this, but in general, they call it like indica, like indica couch. Yeah, that's yeah, right. It's like a mellows you and sativa is kind of more elevating. Depends. And then there's this whole world of terpenes, which are like the things that give it like a citrusy taste-ish smell. Terpenes are plant-based compounds. And like now you get these, like, it's amazing how cannabis, people who love cannabis, they're like, no, you got to talk about the terpenes and you're not, you know, so you don't want to use blanket statements with cannabis because it does have its uses for glaucoma. There's a pure CBD form of marijuana that is only available in Colorado called Charlotte's Web that parents actually move there if their kids have certain forms of psychosis and epilepsy. This doesn't get them high, but seems to help. So I'm not one of these people that says cannabis is bad. It has certain medical purposes. However, high THC cannabis that's vaped in particular because it hits the bloodstream and brain so fast. And if that's used in young people, for young people that have a predisposition to bipolar or schizophrenia, it can trigger psychosis later in life. And then, you know, I put this out on the internet in a podcast and boy, did I get attacked. I was like, listen, I'm not saying cannabis is bad, right? I'm, I'm basically a live and let live kind of type. As long as people aren't harming other people, I'm in, you know, for the most part, um, it's, you know, I'm not one to tell people what to do. I'm not a cop, but, um, or a politician, but I think if people have tendencies toward bipolar, smoking very high THC cannabis is really risky. Mm. And that's just what we've seen over and over again. There's these huge data sets out of Canada that show this. And again, I'm not trying to shut down the cannabis industry. I think it's really interesting what's happened. People always say, well, is cannabis safer than alcohol? And I always say, who cares? Like, if you really want to do cannabis, you're going to do it, right? Let's just yeah. know, let's just be realistic. Is it safer? Well, yeah, for driving, maybe. But if it's very high THC, maybe not. And so you kind of get into this these arguments that don't really make sense. What is very high THC? Sorry. It's the percentage. It's going to be the ratio of CBD. So when you start getting past like 50-50 ratios, mm-hmm. and like, and you can buy pure THC now. People are vaping pure Dabs. THC. Oh, yeah. I mean, which is, you know, crazy. and if you have a stable mental constitution, you're healthy in other ways, maybe it's fine. And with what frequency of vaping would it so cause? So that's interesting. That gets into the realm of what psychologists would call adaptive maladaptive behavior. So if you, um, for instance, can't function in your work, it's too much. Right. But there are people who are in creative endeavors or even programmers who do really well smoking, you know, yeah. two or three times a day. And so yeah. I'm not going to be the one who says, don't do it. You know, the drugs we talked about before, you know, cocaine, amphetamine, heroin, it's our, th- those you kind of put into a bin of like bad, yes, right? right? Just can't be good, right? No one thrives on those, sure. right? And many people destroy their lives with them. But in terms of triggering psychosis, with what frequency from those Canadian studies? It, so you do see that the more high THC cannabis that people smoke, mm the higher probability they're going to have a psychotic episode later. Even if it was just a couple of times they smoked. That seems pretty unlikely. That seems pretty unlikely. Now, methamphetamine only takes one or two uses to trigger a psychotic episode. I have a friend from high school who was always a little weird. His whole family was kind of weird because these things run in families. And he uh, did amphetamine. It wasn't meth. He did amphetamine one or two times. And he's still walking the streets of San Francisco. He's like a, like a, homeless guy who's wow. crazy. He's crazy. Is there you any know? way to fix it's that? sad. Or reverse uh, that? Sometimes um, people can take these drugs, antipsychotics, but the problem is those antipsychotic drugs usually block dopamine mm. and people don't like to have their dopamine blocked. Yeah. yeah. In fact, if you ever see a homeless person who's on the street doing this kind of writhing thing, there are two versions of that. One is the, there's the meth addict version of that, the walk 
Yeah. Right? The meth walk. Really and then there's the, the schizophrenics who are, are taking their psychotic medic- medication, excuse me, will t- get something called tardive dyskinesia. Parkinson's is loss of dopamine. When they take antipsychotic medication, they're blocking dopamine. You get Parkinson's-like oh, things where movement gets messed up. Mm. Um, cannabis, look, I, I think cannabis, again, has its medical applications. Mm-hmm. Certainly, stimulating appetite for cancer patients, mm-hmm. uh, glaucoma in, so, in some cases. Um, I, my, if I had a magic wand, I'd say, hey, kids, let your brain develop and, and then... then Explore if you're going to explore. Same thing with psychedelics. Yeah. Um, you know, MDMA is an interesting drug we could talk about. Um, there are well, a lot of data on that. What about what about uh, mushrooms? Yeah, yeah, I'm 38, and then I just found out weed is fun, and mushrooms sound fun too. <laughs> um, Never touched it before. Either? Never did anything. You Or alcohol. I was a fucking dork. I, I've been buzzed <laughs> twice. And then alcohol to me was always worse than weed. You don't even need the X's, the straight edge thing, like yeah. tattooed on your hands, right? <laughs> Brad, no. That's I was growing not, up, it was like- Who gets tattoos? That's a sin. Yeah, tattoos, right. Yeah. And it's more like, is it true now tattoos are not really in? Like I, in my generation, like tattoos were- uh, Yeah, it was more common to have a tattoo than not for our age group. And okay. now what? No, the next one. The you go to Bushwick, bro. Kids are inked up. Yeah, looks like a, yeah, it looks like a desk in detention. Just like yeah. drawings <laughs> everywhere. Desk in detention. There's something special about the art of the like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bathroom stall. Yeah. Okay, and people, but mushrooms though. Mushrooms. Okay, so psilocybin. So um, there are clinical trials showing that macro dose psilocybin. So we're talking massive dose that puts people into a highly hallucinogenic state. How many grams is that? Um, we're talking like two to like anywhere like one to five Dove grams. Loves you know? mushrooms. Yeah, so it's interesting. Ooh. They stimulate high release of serotonin, among other things. But there's there's work by Matthew Johnson at at uh, Johns Hopkins and work now at UCSF by Robin Carter Harris showing that you know psilocybin at the macro dose used once or twice in a therapeutic setting can really help people move through depression and trauma and maybe even eating disorders, and maybe some other things too. Wow. It seems to create some sort of opportunity for learning new relationships between things. Like if you're somebody who's always felt like you were going to fail in life, or you couldn't get over a loss or a death or a relationship, like it does allow people somehow to imagine new possibilities. In fact, 66% of people that in those trials found lasting relief years or more from psilocybin. Now, that doesn't mean go crazy recreational psilocybin. Also, I'm just citing what Matthew Johnson, who's like the leader, one of the leaders in this field, told me. I was like, what about microdosing? And he, I was going to ask. And he said, mm-mm. He said, very little evidence. Maybe it's because the studies aren't done yet, but at least to my knowledge, very little evidence. He said, macrodosing. Hmm. So that was kind of surprising. That's surprising. I yeah. hear about people doing like 0.2 over yeah. the course of a couple week yep. period. Just to a see little some bit. type of new flow. Yeah. Well, um, you know, psilocybin is a very, because it's very serotonergic, it tends to be kind of mossy, earthy, people hallucinate. It's kind of a mellow. People talk about ego dissolution, kind of um, allows you to see yourself through different perspectives, work through things. Then there's, of course, MDMA. Now, psilocybin is generally considered safe for adults in the clinical setting. The safety profiles are very, very high. But this isn't the kind of thing you want to take and then go you know, and then go for a drive, obviously. Yeah, you I, need some limits in place. And there was a case in Florida not that long ago where a guy walked up to a family sitting having lunch and killed them and then shit. sat down on the on the ground and they found out, oh, he's high on psilocybin. Now, did he oh, have violent tendencies shit. before? Who knows? Mm. But, you know, 
and it happens, and that's one case, right? And how many people did that on alcohol or didn't even require so a it's drug? Almost so you like have to be careful with these. Examples. You probably need to be guided. Like I've heard, there's a type of therapy where they will give yes. you shrooms, and the guy will guide you through it. Is that the way to do it? If people are going to explore this, I highly recommend doing it with a, a trained, licensed clinician. Mm -hmm. um, and these are moving towards legalization. Currently, they're still illegal, right? Yeah. But they are decriminalized in a lot of places, yeah. which is different than being legal. And then there's this question of like how often, right? Yeah. Um, and there isn't a, a really good answer for that, but you know, if you're macrodosing psilocybin, you can't really do it that often. Yeah. I mean, you're booking the weekend. Yeah. And then there's the integration. Remember, what happens during the session is one thing, but that window of neuroplasticity, the ability to change your brain goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks. So it may not be just about the experience. It's also about what happens in the wake of that experience. Mm. But they're very exciting drugs, frankly, because, and psychiatrists who are progressive, and we have several of them at Stanford, are really interested in this. There's DMT, there's Ibogaine, and we could that talk about it for fun. hours. What about, what about ayahuasca? What is actually happening? Yeah. Oh, that's great. So that's a DMT uh, experience. So this is, um, I mean, it's amazing. Two plants that you have to combine in order to get this, um, it's a massive shift in space and time recognition. Ayahuasca um, is a bit more of a complicated interpretation like as to whether or not it's safe. It tends to bring up a lot of, heavy issues. But what is happening like actually in your brain? Oh, what massive release drugs? of serotonin and DMT, dimethyltryptamine. Yeah. So people, it's a very, I don't want, again, the psychonauts going to jump all over me for this, but it has some very like LSD-like qualities, some very psilocybin-like qualities. Yeah. Um, tends to distort your notions of space and time. Um, DMT itself is just a, is like a freight train only lasts about 15 minutes. But what um, are these like gnomes that people say that they oh, yeah. see? Gnomes. Yeah. Yeah. The green like, men. The green people's, men. Yeah, or, there's some things that people tend to see, but the same way that like if people take LSD, you see tracers, right? It, distur it disrupts your visual perception, so your motion perception is off. That's because all these chemicals are used all over the brain. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'll be honest. I mean, I think that there, there are less data on ayahuasca. Psilocybin's being tested, and MDMA, the data on MDMA oh, are incredible. And MDMA is this massive increase in serotonin, oh, but also dopamine. And the thing about MDMA is for years, it was thought that it is neurotoxic. Hmm. And that's because a paper was published on this. It turns out they were using methamphetamine, not MDMA in these studies. The safety profiles of MDMA provided it's real MDMA, it's not cut with methamphetamine, are actually quite high. This was discussed by a guy named Nolan Williams, who's in our department of psychiatry at Stanford. He's a, one of these crazy, like triple board certified psychiatrist twice over and neurologist. So oh, wow. you know, I trust him. He's very, very conservative about this stuff. A pure but MDMA. Pure MDMA has been tested at minimal use, meaning just a couple of times, moderate use, which is I, I think like, you know, like five to 10 times or so. And then people have used a lot of it. And the safety profiles showed that people tend to be cognitively normal despite those uses. But wow. it the sourcing matters, and the, what's interesting, you know who those How studies. How do you sign were? up to be one of these test subjects? You know who they did those studies on. If you think about what's the one group of people that don't do any drugs, don't Mormons. drink alcohol, they did them on Mormons. Fucking brilliant! And then the Mormons told me that I, that Mormon now I'm supposed to say LDS Latter Day Saints, Church yeah, of Latter Day Saints. Latter -day Saints yeah. But you know, so and I have some very close Mormon friends, and like the, it's really interesting. So there's a there turns out MDMA is not on the banned substance list for Mormons. Wow. Wow. For LDS. And so they did these studies huh. in Utah on people from LDS. This is what Nolan tells me. I looked at the study. Yeah, wild, right? Hmm. What a great 
population. I mean, it makes you know? sense. It makes they're also population. fucking happy. They also looked at kids. <laughs> they seem, what? Kids who have done MDMA. And so this is a, a smaller data set, but the safety profiles on the actual compounds are pretty impressive. The problem is that the stuff off the street is cut yeah. with amphetamine. Amphetamine is neurotoxic. So when you so, see someone doing the meth walk yeah. down the street, that is because they have brain degeneration at that point. Mm. And nobody wants that. Is I mean, meth is just a terrible drug, right? Yeah. And so, you know, sourcing matters. And then MDMA, the one problem with MDMA is it makes you feel attached and bonded to anything. So if you're listening to music, it's like, you're like, I'm really into music. I have a friend, he decided he wanted to be a musician inside of the MDMA session. I'm like, that's what you got out of it? Yeah. He says, he's, ter- he's still a terrible musician, <laughs> you know? But so working with somebody to keep you, you know, who's licensed and can tell you, listen, like, let's focus back on your relationship to yourself or back yeah. on your relationship to whatever, or this person. But the data are really impressive. It's, what yeah. about ketamine? Oh, this so, is the new drug, by the way. Yeah. So when we were at Burning Man, Cocaine was almost non-existent. Thank goodness. Because of fentanyl. Everybody's terrified of getting Good. a fentanyl spike. Fentanyl is dangerous. Fentanyl killed cocaine. Yeah. And it, yeah. Yeah. Um, killed a lot of people, too. And people. Yeah. But also the joy that cocaine brings us. No. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, yeah, so nobody's using cocaine. But, but ketamine was rampant. I, everybody was on ketamine. Yeah. So what, what are your thoughts on ketamine? Ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic. Yeah. It's PCP. Whoa. We grew up hearing that PCP was the thing that was was the reason why people were throwing punches at light poles, remember? Yeah. Superhuman strength, PCP. Both ketamine and, <sighs> yeah, and PCP, they're the same thing, basically. You're a base head, bro. No. They, You're a base head. Well, it's so crazy because you we were taught <laughs> the, the media. Yeah, and yeah. listen, hey, I'm not a conspiracy. Everybody was doing <laughs> Well, they used to say that marijuana, like the, the devil's weed, right? I mean, they oh, used to say that marijuana was going to make people psychotically violent. Yeah. It can make people psychotic all of the way we talked about before, but- you know, I mean, the, the messaging around certain things is just crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. I'm I'm all for a real discussion. I mean, uh, Joe's friend uh, who he's had on the podcast, who's up at Columbia here, uh, Carl Hart, he takes a very extreme stance. He even he wrote the book um, Drug Use for Adults. I think I have the title right. He's Forgive the guy me, who Carl. was a regular user of- uh... His, He talks a lot about like the war on drugs and how that created these perceptions. He's kind of at the extreme end. I, I'm Wasn't a kind of middle- heroin? Well, he talked about recreational use of it yeah. and um, and how, you know, constipation is the major side effect. And I'm like, I, you know, yeah. I, yeah. you know, okay. with, listen, I, I, he's done far more research on this than I have, but I, I think that that's a very extreme stance that's yeah. not likely. using heroin. Yeah, not like. shit. Exactly. That's <laughs> yes. It's not likely to be adopted in the U.S. anytime soon. I think that right now we're in a really exciting time to reevaluate these things for their clinical potential. But you think you ketamine know? is. So ketamine is legal. Right, yeah. it's being used as dissociative anesthetic, and it tends to make people feel like they're in the third person. They're watching themselves go through an experience. Now, here's what's wild: the data on psilocybin say that if people take large doses of psilocybin and work with a therapist and get to the point of letting go, where they're willing to like let themselves almost panic and then break through the other side, they experience long-lasting relief. That we know is true. On the other end of the extreme, if people take ketamine and they talk about their depressive experiences and they work through them in a very dissociated, kind of like distanced way, 
they're able to work through it. So I thought, mm. how can this be, right? Like they're just opposite effects. That's like saying um, being wide awake and being asleep are both good for yeah, yeah, the yeah. same thing. And it turns out it's true because the way it works is you have to go through this arc of getting really, really stressed about something and then breaking through to like sense of peace. The brain seems to need to learn that it can think about a problem or sit next to an experience in any or all of those states. And so both ketamine and psilocybin separately, not in the same session, have been shown to be really effective for the treatment of depression. Now, the issue with ketamine is it often doesn't last, the effect doesn't last that long. And so people have to go back and get it every you know week, every two weeks or month. Whereas the psilocybin, we're talking about one or two sessions and more than two thirds of people in those studies experience long lasting relief from otherwise what they call intractable depression, which is incredible. And, you know, look, five years ago, three years ago, I would have been afraid to have this conversation as an academic. Now we have labs at Stanford, Johns Hopkins, UCSF, University College London that are focusing on it. And the pharmaceutical industry is like jumping on this. Really? Yeah, because these are some of the most effective yeah. treatments for depression that anyone's yeah, ever observed that too. with yeah. minimal side effect potential. Now, which is, is pretty fantastic. It's amazing. Is it is it depression primarily? Because a lot of kids struggle with anxiety, the whatever else they're going yeah. through. I mean, well, anxiety is a, a tricky one because there are a lot of different sources. Sometimes there's anxiety weaved into depression, and vice versa. Um, you know, anxiety is. You know, you don't want people taking sedatives, but people need to learn how to work through their anxiety. And that's like a lot of what my lab works on, like tools, you know, double inhale through the nose till your lungs are full, then long exhale. That's the fastest way we know to really quickly calm down. Mm -hmm. This isn't breath work. This is just yeah. a, a pattern of breathing that we know can really dispel stress quickly. Yeah. Um, So-called, it's like, when you just dump all this carbon dioxide, which yeah. is, so some people, frankly, um, a lot of people are really overweight or even mildly overweight who have sleep apnea have more anxiety mm -hmm. because they're not getting rid of CO2. Yeah. Oh, wow. So they're literally suffocating in sleep and they're, you'll see these people, they're mouth breathers. <sighs> not even necessarily just people who are overweight. So it's not good to be a mouth breather. Mm -hmm. um, you don't blow off enough CO2, anxiety yeah, I've goes heard up. You should sleep with like athletic tape on your mouth so you train yourself to breathe through your nose because apparently it's way better for you. Yeah, I'll do cardio. I do a long run once a week or some long cardio. I do it, um, I try not uh, mouth breathe the whole time. Can it also change face shape? Yeah, so there's a wild book called Jaws, a hidden epidemic by colleagues of mine at Stanford. And they show they have these twin studies. One kid grows up in a culture where they eat a lot of soft food, drinking Capri Sun, eating applesauce, baby food. The other one is, you know, got stuck in the jungle or wherever it is, and they're <laughs> chewing on bones and chewing their food. And one kid, these are identical twins, has beautiful jaw structure and high cheekbones, and the eyes look nice and clear. The other kid is like droopy. The teeth are there and their mouth breathing. They show this. There's one case of this young girl who just, she got a pet or a pet hamster, I think it was, got a, a uh, allergy to the hamster and literally took this beautiful young girl and she just, her face just starts aging at a rapid rate. They get rid of the hamster. She goes back to nasal breathing. They do a little bit of encouragement of nasal breathing using the mouth closure thing at night, do a little bit of medical tape. And like her, these beautiful, almost like model-esque features come back in this girl. Hmm. Jaw shape and the clear to the nasal passages. You know, really there's no reason why any of us should ever had had, I had braces, but all your teeth should fit in your mouth, mm -hmm. right? And you should be able to put your tongue on the roof of your mouth with your mouth closed. I can't quite do it. Your, your palate should be, 
somewhat wide, you know? And so when we see, now there's the Jawser sizer is really big in Hollywood. That and peptides are like taking over. Wait, Jawser sizer? Yeah, they, these like things where like- Bouncy mouthpiece. Yeah. It looks, it, the only problem is it makes people drool. It's pretty gross. But you know, you, it's- Those work? Exercise, they definitely work. They change your facial structure. They dilate the, the, um, uh, the nasal passages. You look at somebody who keeps their facial muscles strong. There's, and this is for women and men, their jaw muscles strong. We're not talking about the like, you know, like, I mean, there's certain people who are like genetic freaks, like my friend Laird Hamilton. He's got, you know, it's like big old neck and like yeah. huge jaw. Like he looks like a, you know, an actor from the seventies or something. He's just yeah. naturally that way. Um, but people who care about their facial structure, especially who don't want, a lot of people are concerned like, what's going on with my skin? A lot of um, women and men are like putting all the stuff on and figure out how to get rid of the droopy eyes. It's actually a facial muscle issue. And had, were they just to do some jaw exercises and focus on not mouth breathing, it completely changes the structure of the face in just two, three months. And there's, yeah, there's like skincare salons called like Face Gym and other places where they're literally giving your face a workout and you'll notice that it's like a lymphatic type of massage. It'll change uh, after one session. So I imagine- just doing the training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when girls are getting like, uh, maybe this doesn't work actually, when girls are getting filler to like put in, like they have the hollow space or whatever here or here, does that, does that? Well, I look at the plastic surgery thing now and it's kind of crazy. I mean, maybe this just reflects my age and my generation, but I see some people with wearing so much dark eye makeup, plus they're getting the cheekbone inserts. They look like skeletons mm. now that's not yeah listen everyone's got their taste especially if they're really lean you know and then but facial structure is something that can be modified mm. um and so the having a chewing your food chewing hard foods is something we used to do a lot more all this slurping down of food and calories we know isn't good from the obesity side but it's also not good from the jaw structure teeth structure face structure mm. and it's all related you know, so that book Jaws is amazing. The people can just look it up online if they yeah. want to buy the book. Just do um, you know Jaws, um, mouth structure, face structure, and then just go images, and you'll see these pictures. And this was known in the 1800s. There was a book called Shut Your Mouth by a British doctor who talked about the fact hmm. that people who snore sleep like this, and then during the daytime they become mouth breathers. He said they become less attractive than the people who are um, uh, nose breathers. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Fuck. Yeah. It's really interesting, and this is like a zero-cost thing, but um, it's not emphasized enough. At all. Yeah. yeah. It's not emphasized. I've heard this is crazy. This. Crazy. crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, I saw random things on like maybe TikTok or Instagram of of uh, people who said, yeah, I started chewing this thing, or maybe it was oh, like, yeah, oh, it's a hard gum. I thought, yeah, yeah, there was a hard gum. Yeah. And I, was, I, I thought that this was some like, uh, I don't know, just some ploy, some like gimmick. Some TikTok to, Yeah, to get some quick money out of people. But no, this is legit. Huh? Yeah, yeah, and the, there's a, you know, also for avoiding orthodontia, you know, like uh, kids who chew hard food, who have to chew their food, eating real food and yeah. chewing their food, not just peanut butter, you know, slurping down food all the time. They, using their jaw and their teeth, they have really nice teeth. In fact, the argument was made, and there's a, you know, animals in the animal kingdom have beautiful teeth structure. You don't see the, huh. the, the messed up teeth. They have beautiful teeth structure and they don't wear braces, yeah. but they're tearing flesh and they're doing their mm. thing. We brought this up before. If you look at like mummified people from yeah. like way back in the day, their oh, teeth are always yeah. like pretty good. Yeah. And like they're not, they don't have all crazy, they're not eating sugar at the same rate, stuff like that. But those are the elites, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the I mean? Only the elites got well, chewing on bones yeah. and things like that. Well, and if people think this sounds like kind of like. Actually, wait, that makes sense. They were probably the ones eating the best food. Yes. The ones 
ones having to chew on meat because mm-hmm. it was the rich people that are going to be able to get that meat. Because right. I don't think they were mummifying everybody, right? But I mean, like people like the bog man that like is in you know England that got frozen in like some bog. Oh, okay. Even like, he, has yeah, it. like yeah. their teeth are not in the way the Americans' teeth are now. So then, why did why did humans start losing their teeth? Is it like the this nice structure you mean? The, yeah, like you even look back at you know old presidents and stuff like that. Like George Washington had all fake teeth. Like what did he start ingesting that's getting rid of? Well, I think back then the problem was that, you know, there was no, I mean, dental care is still a good idea. Yeah. In fact, bacteria in the teeth and not, I'm terrible about flossing. Maybe sugar too. Sugar and also people not flossing. I mean, flossing and, you know, flossing and tooth care actually improves heart health. This is not pseudoscience. Yeah, I've heard that. Because if you have bacteria living in your mouth, right, and starting to take residence in your mouth and they get into your system, it can cause issues for the rest of your body. Mm. I mean, we, of course, operate as a whole system. Um, You know, I'm pretty bad about flossing. I was one of these kids that had tons of cavities. It was just, and I took decent, I brushed twice a day. I don't know, are any of you three times a day brushers? You get those people. I try to be, but I can't do it. People, they always impress me. They're brushing their teeth after lunch. Yeah, it's not me either. Um, you know, flossing and brushing, definitely good um, to keep bacteria out. But it's amazing what, che- you know, chewing your food really well yeah. will do for a facial structure. And I, I, I want to use the bathroom real quick, but I want to get back. Can we do like a, can we go over like a few small things like this? Mm-hmm. Like maybe like the five or 10 tiny things that you can do. They'll have. Pass. Yeah. Almost the like biggest, this. The biggest. The biggest. Pass. Pass. Yeah. <laughs> I read that both your parents had. A dancing ability. Yeah, well, my mom and then my dad learned for sure. And you Keep have up. dancing ability. I don't know about that. I mean, you know, obviously, I'm the best dancer on this podcast. Well, he can get sturdy sometimes. <laughs> he can get sturdy <laughs> every now and again. Yeah. It's not even close. I, I, do, do you want to have another competition? Pick your dance. What's the dance? Sturdy. Get sturdy. Wow. Yeah, let's get sturdy. Let's go. At a party, if music comes that. on, you're fired up to stand up and oh, dance. I love dancing. Yeah, yeah. dance is the it's best. The best. Yeah, yeah. The best. we're supposed to dance. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I think dance is amazing. You know, it's also linked to verbal ability. Really? Guest on the podcast, he's amazing. He's here. His name is Eric Jarvis. I mean, here in in New York, he's a professor at the Rockefeller. Okay, he was invited to, although turned down legitimately. I checked this um, to be an Alvin Ailey dance company. Wow. Became a neuroscientist. He studies speech, language, and dance. It turns out that species of non-human species that have language, like birds, that like the, the types of birds that can mimic and have can speak, dance. You know, you see the thing of the cockatoos, yeah, yeah, they can yeah. really dance. You don't see elaborate language in species, including humans, that can't dance. Hmm. And he thinks that song and dance actually evolved before the kind of speech that we're doing right now. I uh, completely believe yeah. that. Yeah. He's an incredible human being. Amazing story. Grew up in Harlem. His story and his, the story of his family is incredible. Yeah, that makes and, perfect sense. Yeah. And he's running, a, he's running yeah. a lab here at the Rockefeller, which is um, we also doing incredible, so. incredible guy. And yeah, you but should. dance is a form of communication. I that makes perfect sense. Never, Prob- yeah. Probably the original form yeah, of communication. Yeah, we were talking to, uh, I was talking to Jordan Peterson the other day, and uh, he even brought that up. We were just talking about like the importance of play. And um, uh, play allows you to enter these somewhat like dangerous or fearful zones in a very safe way. And dance is a version of that. Like if you go dance with a girl, you can 
flirt with her. You can get very close to her. You can do all these things that would be incredibly dangerous and terrifying for her if you're just on the subway. But because of this safe little scenario, you guys can be almost very sexual through this, you know, this game that you're playing. So, of course, you would want to learn that, especially if you couldn't say anything to people. We're talking about millions of years ago. We don't have language figured out yet. I mean, shit, probably when we were younger, most of the girls that we, like, hooked up with we didn't even talk to yet, mm-hmm. right? Like you're at a nightclub, you're dancing, you guys make out, then you find out what their name. <laughs> That's the most primal way to hook up. And they might even tell you their real name. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Dude, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, and in dance, there's also the power dynamics, who's leading and allowing oneself to be led. Yeah. Right? So again, we're back to this thing about, again, when people think power, they always think power over. But what I'm talking about is an a consensual exchange of power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so, yeah, the Jarvis Lab is doing amazing work on this. There are a few other labs, too. Yeah, yeah It's sort of, the dance is, is the most primitive, but also yeah. a very sophisticated form of communication. Yeah. Also, the hands are a form of communication. And the, the representation of the hands and the brain is right next to the speech area. Try and, try and do your Italians, job. Yeah. Try and do what you do. With yeah. keeping your hands still, very, yeah. very hard. Yeah. And I'm guessing when you do comedy on stage, I haven't paid specific attention to your sure. hands, but now I feel like I need to go back and watch. Oh, absolutely. And, and so I'm guessing that you, you know, facial expressions and yeah. hands, like it's a huge part of it, uh-huh. right? Yeah. I notice I mean, as much yeah. as I pick up speech patterns from friends, I'll pick up like, sometimes I'll find myself moving my hands like Andrew. I'm like, what the fuck, what am I doing? Yeah, I think that's normal. Yeah. Well, you can tell a lot about someone's energy. I used to, I love animals. And so I used to study people from like what animals they represent. And the, you know, see some women, for instance, and men, but oftentimes like, I had a, a friend and she just moved like a cat. And I was like, what is it to move like a cat? And what would happen is the part of the limb closest to the body, in nerd speak, we call it the distal limb, would move before the, the sorry, the proximal limb before the distal limb. Distal is far away. Mm-hmm. I, I, I said it backwards. Twice today, I said things backwards. So when she would reach for something, she wouldn't go like this. Like I would, like a, you know, like a primate, right? She would go, it was like very feline. It was like the arm would move first closest to the body right. and then right. she would reach. And every one of her movements was amazing. I once watched her un- unwrap a birthday gift and it was like a piece of art. She was just like, yeah, I could, I still remember it in my mind. Some people are more crude. They're like, Hoom. Yeah. you know, it's like all body, you know, the, the limbs are all moving together, very primate. Yeah. Some people were very feline. Some people move smoothly. Some people, when they talk, it's very staccato. Yeah. And some people, like, their their limb movements are very smooth. And it has a lot to do with their kind of demeanor and what they're saying. And when people are angry, the other day we were walking um, down the street in New York, and, you know, it's always great to see some of the things you see. And, and you look, and clearly there was a couple. She'd either caught him cheating or he, she was pissed. Oh, yeah. And I don't know what she said, but her hand movement said it all. Yeah. Mm. And like, I was like, this guy's going to get knocked out yeah. with her words, but her hands were moving at a mile a minute and were way up in his face. Yeah. Very different than if somebody is, you know, very demure, very, very interesting the way the body and language sync hmm. up. Yeah. And you said, you mentioned music. Yeah. So with music, I mean, our ability to create, keep going. Oop. I'm going to just yep. fix this. Oh, thank you. You're good. I feel so well cared for here. Yeah. That's what <laughs> um, we do. It's a very nurturing group of men, mm-hmm. you know, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you. And, <laughs> um, it, it, you know, music and song was probably the original form of communication. And if you think, let's go back to this aversive, appetitive thing. When you smell something that you hate, you go, ah, you tend to exhale. Yep. You don't want to ingest yep. the molecules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you smell something or someone that you really like, it's, mm, it's like bring that into my system, right? And you think about certain language 
which is like, they call it the plosive words. They're like, get this away from me, swearing. Yeah. Right? It's like, you know, like imagine your four-letter words, whatever one is, explosive, you're sending things out. Yeah. Whereas like, love is a softer word, not just if you say it that way. Now you can say, I hate you. You can say, I love you in a hate you way, or you can say, I hate you in an I love you way, but that gets into some of the, you know, the finer, finer nuance. But in reality, the, the structure of our language, whether or not we're doing a th or a p, tends to associate with the strength of the word and what it means in the same way that when we do a mm or a ugh, right? So yeah. language is built up from these primitive forms of breathing, right? You're just, language is just controlling the air as it leaves. It was amazing, right? You're just taking a breath, you're exhaling, and you're controlling the exhales. Wild. But music, like let's say you loved somebody, you would probably tell them in the way that you would vocalize, independent of the words. And if you hate somebody, you're going to tell them in the way that you, you know, like I'm going to kill you is probably yeah. going to be like, oh. yeah, it's not going to be Even like the a, word kill, like that yeah, hard, that hard, sharp sound. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's so a, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Listen, we're basically, we're, we are evolved from very primitive structures, right? Yeah. And you cannot do away with that primitive stuff. So you ask, can you evolve this away? You can make decisions about how to control your behavior. If someone can really make you angry, you decide not to not to hurt them, or you might decide to hurt them later in a very specific way, mm-hmm. right? Like that's like, it almost feels diabolical, but you could say, okay, now's not the right context. I could get hurt if I do it that way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wait, take my time, dart them later through this other interaction. And the, you know, whether or not people resort to violent interactions or more um, uh, diabolical in, um, types of things, or whether or not, you know, you could decide you really like somebody. Yep. So you're going to ignore them and you're going to wait till not everyone in the room is hitting on them. And you're going to, you know, approach them differently than mm-hmm. everybody approaches yeah. them, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we have a lot of control, but the basic drives, right? Make more of our species, take great care of our young, nurture that thing about kindness, nurture the person we're with. We like to be nurtured too. Um, gestures of affection and, and things like that. That's all pretty, that's been around a long, long time. I'm curious your thoughts on on story. I was watching your show. I've noticed it from just telling stories on stage and just watching other comedians tell stories. I've noticed the way that I react when I see stories. I notice the way that like when you're with a group of people and one person begins a story, the group just shuts the fuck up. Now, if the story sucks, eventually people will move on. But everybody's given like a few seconds if the story is set up right. Is there something biologically wired in our brains, like pay attention to this, to react in a way? Like even with the cuttlefish story you told, did you notice the energy shift in the room? Uh, I mean, at that moment, I'm just in it. As you know, as like a, on stage, like a- I, mean, yeah. I felt a shift, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, people got, I mean, I love Like we're still experience. learning things, but yeah. we're learning it through story, which is like, Better. I think it's a more impactful way. Yeah, yeah. It, so without question, story is the most powerful way to communicate information. Yeah. Just no question. I mean, why? It, I wish I knew. Here, here, you know, it's not often I'm lost for words, but yeah. this is one of those cases. I don't, we can't point to a specific biological mechanism. Yeah. I wish I could tell you it's because of this, that, and the other thing. But here's a couple of hard biological findings that are really cool. If we were to each listen to the same story in separate rooms, and we start the story at different times, maybe even on different days. And I track your heart rate, your heart rate, my heart rate, his, and his heart rate. And then we were to look. Your baseline heart rate would be different than everyone else's and vice versa. But the adjustments? But the adjustments hmm. map 
almost That's it. perfectly. This was a study that was published in Cell Reports last That's year. It. And I love this because, and we're coming up on the holidays here and like you never want to timestamp a podcast this way or like, but the, or time capsule it this way. But you know, when we read story and we hear story together, we synchronize our physiology. Yeah. This is that's it. This is one of the coolest studies ever. And so there's something about sharing the same physiological response. And look, it doesn't all boil back down to sex, but as long as we have an opportunity to talk about sex in a healthy context, what is sex? Okay, sex is reproduction in some contexts, not others. Share sex experience. is a form of it's. But you're you're taking your physiologies yeah. and you're saying to some extent, I'm going to let you control my physiology and I'm going to control your physiology in a consensual way, right? That's consensual sex. And when we listen to story, whether or not, let's say I, I listen to a story, you know, Eastern European time, 9 p.m., and you're listening to it at 8 a.m., and then we're totally out of sync, but our heart rates map onto the same contour. So I, yeah. I had So this, that's the best answer I've this got. Is, this you. is awesome. That's the be, so that's in terms of data, and no, no, that's it. Uh, that paper is one of my favorite Let's papers. Let's work yeah. on this because I'm really excited about this. As, as I've started to do bigger venues, you know, when we're on tour, we've been doing, it starts at, you're doing comedy clubs, 300 seats, then you're doing 1,000, 2,000, radio cities, 6,000. And I started to go, okay, the way that we hold attention in bigger spaces has to be different. And mm. I don't think that everything has to be story. I think that you need to like mix things up. But I have noticed, it's so funny that you said that, but I have noticed that story can wrap up a room of many more people. When there's 30, 40 people, we can do premises, quick ideas, pot shot jokes, Mr. X and that kind of stuff. But holding 10,000? 10,000s, you need everybody to have similar reactions at similar times. And I've been thinking about this for a fucking year straight going, how do I do 20,000? How do I hold 20,000 and have everybody waiting for that moment for the laugh to happen? And you tell me right now that when people listen to the story, they all have the same reaction in those same moments, yeah. opposed to like just giving an opinion or like stating a premise. Some people might disagree. They might get turned off. They might right. be upset. Right. Some people might find it hilarious. But a story, even if it upsets you, you're still reacting with all those other people. That's right. That shared reaction. It's like waves on the ocean. We're all going up and down together at the on the same yeah. on the same boat. And before he started doing movies with The Rock, who was the biggest touring comic in decades? Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Hart. Yeah. Kevin Hart's doing fucking The Link in That's Philadelphia. how you fill that space. And that's how you get everybody in the same yeah. thing as you're doing a football I mean, you look at, you look at, uh, at Chappelle, you know, he's, yeah. he's been able to do these like massive venues. He's an incredible storyteller. Oh yeah, and that last special where he t he's talking about his friend from San Francisco, yes. uh, from San Francisco, yeah. weaves that through. The and when you talk about story. dance, I mean, we used to gather and, you know, people would hunt together, people would cook together, people would yeah. sing together, people would dance together. Story... Telling, I mean, it's been said we're the storytelling species. No, it seems like a, I mean, it seems like a, a cheat code almost, to be honest, to like convey information. I mean, I even look at like, you know, sometimes when I'm trying to get inspiration, I do it outside of comedy. Like I'll, I'll even look at like politicians who are very like charismatic. I'm like, why are they charismatic? What are they doing? And like, I was watching an old Bill Clinton interview, regardless of what you think about fucking Bill Clinton, he's undeniably charismatic, right? And that's why he was able to be president of the United fucking States, right? Despite and all get away with what he got away exactly. with. Exactly, <laughs> despite all the shit that People had going on. People forget, just as a point, I'm still amazed. And I was like, it's listen, politics aside, like, 
It's I, I know people that still love him yes. despite the fact that he got caught lying. And they're just like, they kind of forgave him almost because he forgave himself. It seemed like he forgave himself, and so people forgave him. I mean, there was, was wild, a, wilder shit he was accused of. Let's yeah, put it that way. Right. Cheating is the least of his issues. Yeah, I'm very, uh, I, and I'm not playing uh, dodge here, but I'm very naive when it comes to You're politics. You're happy because it. it just confuses yeah. me because I feel like there's no data. It's worse than alcohol for recovery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the point is, I was watching him one of these uh, late night shows, and he was asked a question about the climate or something like that. And he didn't just give a data answer. He told a story. He's like, you know what? When I was in South Carolina, I remember once, and there was this guy, and he came up to me, and he talked to me. And everybody just gets immediately wrapped into this story about, and he somehow proves that it's affecting coal miners or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. But through the story, and it had like a little funny punchline at the end, and I'm like, wow, that's the greatest answer I've ever heard on this. It was an absolutely amazing. And I'm like, this is a superpower. Yeah. Learning how to use that. But the fact that everybody's reacting in the same moment, that's how you fill those spaces. That was so helpful. Um, that's so helpful. I'll pass you the study. Please. you have a degree in psychology from our alma mater. That's you, true. The study you is- You and I are is, almost the same when you think about exactly. it. Never <laughs> I'm just not as funny as you the, are. Yeah, there we yeah. go. That's the only difference. Or as tall, the or as good a dancer. Or as good a dancer. Listen, you got or a few more inches of dick. Or as obsessed with feet. Um, but uh, in any case, it's a really interesting study because wow. the first one that I'm aware of that really sees it, you know, different rooms, different times of day, different subjects, yeah. same story. And of course, you're going to get people that have greater and lesser reactions to yeah. a story. Some of you like it more or less. Yeah, Some of you have different sure. attention, but it all but they, they lay out the curves and they just map onto one another. You go, That's oh right. my goodness. Uh, you know, I saw this when I it's saw- also why we want to watch shows together. And I mean this like, you know, every Sunday there would be like the HBO show that comes on at nine o'clock, whether it was Game of Thrones or, excuse me, it doesn't matter what it was, or whether it was AMC with Mad Men, it didn't matter. But like, we do want that group experience. We do want to watch a show. Movie theaters. The movie theaters, yeah. like we being in there with all these people. And a movie is the story, yeah, for an hour and a half. We're all just in the same we place. We want to feel that. We want to have those reactions. We want to be scared and have everybody go, huh, together. Yeah, the story is the thing that, wow, I didn't think about it like that. A story is something that creates, what do you say, shared physiological yeah, we, we could think about it as resonance. You know, yeah. it's like a feeling that we're, we're kind of one in the same. We, we've, we felt the same about the same things, yeah. even if we don't know. It's got somewhat subconscious. I remember I saw um, Joe Rogan. Um, no last name needed, but Joe yeah. Rogan yeah. Uh, yeah. do comedy at the Vulcan Club down. Yeah. He does that some midweek sometimes yeah, in yeah. Austin. And he's got this bit. I won't even try and repeat what it is, but it's hilarious. But he's leading you down this path, and you're thinking, oh, no, he's not going there. But you kind of know where he's going. Yeah. But you're not sure. And it was amazing because I was like, wow, I'm not sure if it's leading to a surprise or a confirmation of where I think he's going. Yeah. And then I realized, like, it doesn't matter. We are all on that ship uh, with him. Ship. And then, of course, the, the end is great. And I don't even want to yeah. cue people to it because if you haven't heard it for the first time, it's it's amazing. It's amazing the third time because I've seen it three times. Um, but his ability to spool out the narrative because you have to keep people on board. Because yep. we all know that guy or that girl who starts a story and then you're like, like oh my God, where's this going? Like, is this yeah. going? You know, that that's... So but that's often the, because there's no uh, information gap. Right. Like, there's nothing that we want to know. That's right. Creating that information gap, our curiosity spikes, and we're like, all right, well, take me there. Like, right. it's the horror movie, right? You're like, what's down the hallway? Right. Well, is somebody following her? Is somebody outside? You got to create that. And I think the people that don't tell the stories well, they just create no information gap. They give you all the information. That's right. That's right. You know? In great courtroom, you know, 
drama is really about bringing the, I mean, I have friends who are lawyers oh, who do yeah. criminal court oh, and yeah. civil court yeah. where a ton is on the line yeah. and they create <laughs> a narrative about the other person. They use the person actually to fill in words to create the narrative they want. So they create this argument using other people's words. I mean, lawyers are masterful. The really good ones are masterful at, at getting watch. a narrative into we the jury's mind. some of that. That's, that'd be great. Just seeing how they build narrative Build curiosity. Alex used to work in the court system. So yeah, I would see it out. And the best lawyers were the best storytellers. Like everyone's just like, we just like engage and it's like, yeah. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So notable difference when yeah. there was someone who was really good. Oh yeah. And, and then the bad ones are the ones that are just giving you the info. They're just like, ah, oh, this thing happened at this time. And this is like, why, you know, I'm in the health and you, sell hmm. you gotta yeah. sell me on it. Right. And would you yeah. see someone who you thought might have been guilty? Would you see like yeah. Wow, the reaction from people change. Yeah, and that's why having a good lawyer is so important. Because it's like, even if the person is innocent or guilty, if the other lawyer can convey it better, it's like, you can get that person off. This might click. be a reach, it's but great. is that why the media is so powerful? Because oh, they yeah. write the story, yeah. and once they craft the narrative and get everybody into it, it's, it's set? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think about, I used to, I try and avoid like serial killer crime stuff because it's dark and it's out there. And like, I don't want to focus on that now. But I was living in Davis when uh, there was a whole Scott Peterson, Lacey Peterson yeah. murder. Yeah. She was pregnant. It was, and it was really around me. At one point, they discovered body parts in this uh, canister not far from where my lab was at that time. And it turned out that was a guy working at the coroner's office who was taking his work home, but he wasn't involved in the murders. It wasn't her body. But there were all these things happening, and then he died. Remember, then Scott Pearson dyed his hair, ran for Mexico. He had this thing with this woman who was his massage therapist, and they literally had footage or, or of him saying, oh, yeah, I'm here in Paris under the Eiffel Tower. And there he was at the vigil for his dead wife. You know, The media did a masterful job of piecing together all these things that basically set him up, and I— from what I understand, he's guilty, right? I don't know. I wasn't there, but I wasn't there. But the, uh, <laughs> Good but the, you know, they piece together this thing of like all these behaviors create the story of this guy who was a liar, a cheater, a guy who would try and disguise himself and leave, but they never actually got him directly to confess or anything yeah. like that. So they create this narrative that you go like, this guy killed his wife and his unborn child and he should go to prison forever. Maybe he got the death penalty. I can't remember. I think they reversed on it. Anyway, the point is that like, the media created a narrative about him. Yeah. Well, right now, Liz Holmes is going to get um, sentenced in a few days, right? Theranos. Yeah. Company with all these blood tests and the fabricated right. stuff. Yeah, She's yeah. been found guilty. I watched, uh, uh, what is it? Um, Bad Blood, I think is yeah. the, mm -hmm. you know, the story around her is so powerful that, you yeah. know, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. So I'm yeah. really curious to see what happens. But the media lives on Information this. gap. They live on the story. Thing. And yeah, it's like, why haven't they sentenced her yet? Like, let's get the show on the road. Yeah. Um, she's had but two kids while she's closed. been out on bail. Now she's a, a mother, an expecting mother with oh, a kid. So smart. now there's a sympathy weave. And like, yeah. you know, and, and so, listen, I don't know who did what, but the media is masterful at doing this. Politicians, on the other hand, at least as far as I can tell, are just trying to navigate the next 12 hours of the news cycle yeah. and make someone else look bad so that the lens is off them. Mm. Yeah. I think this is why really good people don't run for, for office. Of there are a few not. good ones out there. Like I've, I'm a fan of a few of them, but most of it's just kind of like protect oneself and point fingers at everyone else yeah. for 12 hours, yeah. 12 hours, 12 yeah. hours. It's a pretty ugly It's a survival business. game and then just- Yeah, no visionaries. Like, I, I mean, the right now, I'm, I think we're really- we, you know, we need visionaries and we need people yeah. who can get out there and, and tell but stories. But also it's like, who would do it, right? Like you think about what you go through, like the scrutiny, like even our friends, what they've gone through, like Joe being in his position and having 
so much power and influence and then just putting his name behind a candidate and then immediately the next day having an onslaught of media oh. narrative spun Doesn't matter you supported him. Bernie, then now it's on like, Look. So imagine that's you. Like imagine you're already a billionaire. I, I look at all these guys who are independently wealthy and they're like, well, why don't, why doesn't uh, well, Jeff Bezos run for president? Why not? It's like, why would they? Because he loves his life. Exactly. It's <laughs> like, it makes your life horrible. They're going to look at what your kids do. They're going to do everything they possibly can to make you radioactive and just destroy any semblance of happiness you have. We have a system where it, it actually behooves you to already be a piece of shit before you run. I think everyone who runs for office should make their second speech all the things that they did wrong that they can remember. And then ask whether or not, and then ask whether or not people still want them to run. Yeah. And then and let people like post to that list. Yeah. And, like let's not waste the time. Yeah. Right? So it's just like here's all the terrible stuff. This is I the Eminem, the right? eight mile, like Eminem and eight. That's what you yeah. <laughs> just drop a freestyle. I think everyone would be better off. Yeah. Right? I think everyone. We do need good people. I really hope that somebody listening to this is like gonna like bite the bullet and just you know run. Let's hope. Let's hope. Let's maybe hope. you. Yeah. No, never gonna happen. Yeah. I think you have more influence in culture. Like, I, I don't know. I like being a part of culture. I don't want to be a part of politics. I don't want to be a part of, like, telling people what to do. I want to be a part of, like, reflecting on what people do and what we love. And to me, that's way more fun than making rules. You know what I mean? No, I, I mean, it doesn't appeal to me at all. I ran for office in the seventh grade. I, I lost. <laughs> I, I started skateboarding. So much quick fun, team right? sports after that. And just, yeah, no, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. do my own thing. And science is fun because there are definitely rules, but there are rules around trying to figure things out. Yeah. And no one becomes and stays a scientist if they don't really want the truth. Yeah. Because in the end, like, there's no real incentive for figuring out stuff that's not true. Yeah. I, every once in a while you hear of these people, it turns out that the, 90% of the time when people commit scientific fraud, they're medical doctors who get into science. They're uh, not pure scientists. And guess what? They get caught and they do it again. They get rehired and they do it again. Right. I have a friend who, who knows this area like sport and he loves, he's brilliant. He loves telling stories about all these people who get caught doing terrible things like you falsifying it and they do it again and again and Why again. Do you think that is? I think it's a compulsion. I think it's like the, it's like the people who they're just delusional. I think God I think the complex? game for them becomes trying to get one over on people. It's not really oh, about. And why are medical doctors. doctors more prone? Egos. Um, mm -hmm. Doctors come in two forms, and I think there are many, many excellent doctors who have incredible bedside and really care about their patients. And then there are a lot of them that would like to be well known and famous. And it's very hard to be well known and famous in that profession. And doctors who go into science oftentimes get a little bit of a of a boost because their training is unique and special. And um, yeah, for whatever reason, when you look at data fabrication, more often hmm. it's medical doctors turn scientists than pure scientists. Wow. Um, but, but I do want to say that, again, not for political reasons, but most doctors, probably 99% of doctors are very well-intentioned mm -hmm. and very, you know, just trying to help in whatever field they can. Right. Oftentimes very unhealthy themselves. I see that a lot. I look at some of the doctors. You know, Stanford is different. I, to be fair, like people pay more attention to their health, I think. But sometimes I see, like I've seen dentists with bad teeth. Yeah, that's wild. So it's weird, right? And people always go, you know, it doesn't compute. Yeah. But anyway, that, who knows? I'm, you While were we're on medical, I really want to know about peptides. Oh, yeah. Because oh, okay. that seems like the Hollywood okay. secret. Yeah, so let's, um, a peptide just means a chain of amino acids. Um, but let's just get this um, out. So, because there's a lot of interest in this now. Um, Right, you need to sleep, exercise, good nutrition, uh, good social interactions. You need to do all that stuff, right? You're never going to optimize testosterone, muscle, fat loss, et cetera, if you're not doing those things. You need to. Everyone needs to do that. Then there's the question of like supplementation. 
And there are some good supplements that are legal, things like Tonga Ali, Fadogia, Aggressus, that can boost testosterone somewhat um, and that people get benefit from. And don't shut down your own testosterone production or growth hormone production. Then there are drugs, prescription drugs, like growth hormone, testosterone, that people use for testosterone replacement therapy, and then just all-out steroids like Anadrol, Oxandrolone, where like you see the guys, you, you know the look, right? I mean, you, you know, the, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and that can be abused, et cetera. Any of those things could be abused, mm-hmm. but, but there's this new kind of wedge in between supplements and prescription drugs that are called peptides. Mm-hmm. And they're a bunch of different kinds. And the ones that are most popular right now in health and fitness for use in both males and females are, for instance, things that stimulate the release of growth hormone. They're called secretagogues. It sounds like synagogue, but it's secretagogue. Things like sermorelin, tessamorelin, ipomorelin. They all, you take it as an injection. They can be bought without a prescription or with a prescription. We can talk about what's better. Um, And they're taken before sleep, if you haven't eaten anything for a couple of hours, they stimulate massive growth hormone release, IGF-1, et cetera. They help you re- recover faster, fat loss, muscle repair. They also stimulate libido pretty pretty. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is a miracle. Yeah. What is this? Sermorellin. Why are so we not on? How can we Well, okay, a couple of reasons. One, to get it really good sermorellin, you need a prescription, but there are a lot of doctors that will prescribe it. You can work it. on that? Yeah. What if I'm trying to have a baby? Does it fuck that up? It does not disrupt. So testosterone will disrupt sperm production. You can offset that. So let's say you were to take testosterone. Um, it would shut down your own sperm production. Testicles shrink. Some people more than others, but some people will take HCG, human chorionic gonadotropin. That can stimulate the testes to continue to make sperm. HCG incidentally used to be, now they make it in a laboratory and you inject it, used to be um, collected from pregnant women's urine. So in the bodybuilding community, people used to literally like try and drink pregnant women's urine. There was a black market for it. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I figured that story was going to widen some eyes. Um, but did you notice I went in? Yes. Exactly. So people can maintain fertility on uh, testosterone, but sermorellin will not disrupt fertility. Um, why wouldn't you take it? Okay, well, there is this issue that, first of all, you need a prescription to get it clean. There are sources online where you can just buy it without a prescription. It's a little sketchy. You go to these sites and they're like, they say, Venmo me, but Venmo me under this name. So yeah. it's kind of gray market. The problem with those is you don't know about the purity. You don't know if you're getting what you think Let's you're getting. Let's assume that we have some connections yeah. we can get sure. the purity. MDs will prescribe Sermorellin. Yeah, I've used Sermorellin before. I, t- I actually still, I'll, listen, I'm really open about this because I never want to be like a natty or not video on me. I'll just just say like not, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not meaning I'm, I take sermorellin about three or five nights a week. Um, helps me get into really deep sleep quickly. You get a bit of a IGF one boost. It's great. You recover fat. I never recovered very quickly from exercise. Yeah. I didn't start until I was 45. Um, you look great. Now you look like what I thought Lance Armstrong would look like with the steroids. <laughs> you look like what he should Thank look you. like. I can ride a bicycle, but not like him. No. Hey, um, uh, there's another joke there, but I'm not going to make it. What is that? No, no, no. It was no, no, no. Are we talking about the bulge? <laughs> um, I have to be careful. Um, I never met Lance. I'm sure he's a nice guy. There's a guy who eventually, eventually came clean about his... And people still seem to like him, I think. Yeah. They don't wear the wristband, though. Took a know. while, but... Wristband's gone. Came, yeah, we yeah. came around on him. Yeah, instead of live strong, it's sort of like live honest and yeah. like, by not <laughs> wearing the wristband. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Lance. Um, 
So, so Sumerellin is- We should all get on this. What is the, what is well, the okay, bad? Okay, the downside is it, it causes growth of all things, right? So if you have, for instance, a small cancer growing on your pancreas, it will accelerate growth of that cancer. Now, so you tend to want to cycle these things to infrequent use, you know, five nights a week or three nights a week or occasional use. You know, look, I'll tell you right now, a lot of the bodies you see in Hollywood films are on peptides. Because right now the look isn't really super huge, a yeah. like 80s professional wrestling. Yeah. The look is, you know, the women are a little bit leaner and stronger than yep. in past years. The men are sort of in that middle range, yep. you know, it's more about definition and, yep. you know, okay. Um, Sermorel, and then there's also something called BPC-157, which is actually on based on a gastric peptide. Turns out that there's a gastric peptide that we all make that can promote healing of tissues. And I've talked to Joe a lot about this. There's not a lot of data on this, whereas there are a lot of data on sermorelin. But BPC, like I had an L5 compression and I was always like in pain standing up from a, a dumb thing. I don't deadlift anymore. I just made a dumb mistake um, in terms of form. And massage, heat there, electric therapy, the whole thing. Two injections of BPC-157. Look, if it was placebo, okay, I'll take it. Gone. Mm. Gone. BB, and the BBC 157 is remarkable. A few years ago, a guy um, tore his Achilles right before the Olympics, came back. BBC 157 was implicated in that. So again, you want to get good, clean sources. There are physicians that will prescribe these. Again, these aren't going to shut down fertility or testosterone production. Um, and then there's- kids wonky or anything like that? If not I that we are aware of. Not that we're aware of. Your kids are going to be- I'll just come. Okay. Your kids just are just going to have so much fire in them. You know what? I, I need so. to take something, so I have something to blame it on when my kid comes out that way, no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are like a beautiful couple. You have all this energy. You lived <laughs> yeah. in New York. Like no. You're going to raise them in New York, I it hope. It was right? the peptides. <laughs> yeah. You're going to raise them in New York, I hope. <laughs> No, I don't you know, know, we'll see. I think we'll it was see. the late Philip Seymour Hoffman that said in his will that his kids wouldn't get any money if they lived outside of New York or Chicago or London because he that. wanted their brain to develop in a, yeah. a sensory-rich environment. Is that yeah. where he grew up? Because yeah. I'm going to raise so. my kids in a different place. Than yeah. where yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't do I'm sorry. Yeah, no, he, he unfortunately uh, tapped out through unfortunate circumstances. But I think there is something to having that intensity. Well, you know, I mean, kids from who aren't from New York, they come here and they hear a siren go by and they're like, ah, yeah. you know, my niece grows up in a big city and she's like totally comfortable in noise and chaos. She's super yes. calm. I see the kids here. They're just like, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like they just can cope. You take a kid like that, you put them in California and they're going to run the company. Yeah. Because it's just, they have so much energy and so much force. Yeah. You know, and everyone else is like dissolving into a puddle of tears because it's Sold. too much. We're yeah. staying here, yeah. babe. Sorry. Um, so, okay. So there's BPC, there's Sermorellin, there's BPC-157, there's, and then there's this whole landscape now of like TB-500, et cetera. There's a lot of kind of um, cocktails of, of peptides. I know less about that. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are far less data on that. Now, as long as we're having this discussion, and because of this audience, I have to assume has heard of TRT and testosterone replacement. There's a lot evolving there. I'm hearing about guys going on really young. I really worry about that because it will shut down your sperm production unless you, you won't be able to conceive kids unless you're doing something to offset that, like taking HCG. And that should always be done with a doctor. The new way of doing this is not to get one shot every two weeks of massive testosterone, but oh, taking smaller yeah. doses every third or fourth day, dividing that up and then doing the HCG as well. That's very common. But TRT, you know, the R is replacement therapy and the range of testosterone is really broad. Mm -hmm. And I, 
what I would think, I, what I think guys should do is I started weight training when I was 16, started, I was running and weight training. And then when I got to Santa Barbara, I was more like weight training and hanging out a bit. And then I got serious about studies. But the point is that you want to train on your own hormones, get, learn good sleep, good nutrition, good habits, and also live your life, right? You're not going to like not have a beer or two every once in a while at age 22, just because you might not recover as well. Like, right. okay, if you have a tendency towards alcoholism, be careful, but you know, let, let's live your life is my, my uh, stance. But once you have all those things in place, let's say you already have kids and people are feeling tired and more sluggish, then testosterone replacement therapy can make sense for some people. The problem is a lot of people think if a little is good, more is better. And that's not, and that's not good. And also it's what you do with that. You still have to run, eat well, yeah. you know, preserve your cardiovascular health. Yeah, it doesn't replace yeah. those yeah, things. Yeah, you still need blood work to make sure your prostate antigens aren't going crazy and stuff like that. Yeah. I hear about young guys who are just like, you know, they're slamming Viagra and testosterone. It's like this and that, that that's not going to, play out very well over time. Right. Like see what you can do naturally with yeah. hard work and dedication and balance. Yeah. And then over time you can explore things. But the peptides are interesting. They're kind of a, you know, middle ground where you're not risking as much in terms of long-term fertility issues. Mm -hmm. um, they're not going to, they're not going to give you a ton of acne or something or, you know, make someone look crazy um, like they could if they uh, abuse steroids. And women are using them a lot more now because they're milder. They don't have these so-called androgenic effects. They're not going to deepen the voice. They're not going to create facial hair for women, that kind of thing. But they, yeah, they, they certainly work. They're banned in sports for a reason. Oh, we're although, doing it. Although yeah. last night, oh, listen, listen, I don't want to so get beat up by oh, any of the MMA crowd, but that. I can look at some, I mean, some of the athletes are either genetic freaks or they're using in the off season. I mean, I think I've seen some photos of Conor McGregor now. I mean, he's massive. big. Yeah. He's big. So either he has ridiculous genetics yeah. or he's, on something. And listen, no shame in that. I mean, it's his life. He can do what he wants. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a runner who ran for Stanford, I think still holds the American record for marathon, for fastest U.S. marathon, Ryan Hall. He was like a stick, finished running, got out, started lifting weights. He's a beast. Looks like something out of a Marvel movie. Really? Mostly because he's just eating and deadlifting and squatting now. He still runs a little bit, but he's not running yeah, a zillion yeah. miles a week. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. So, yeah. So Look, the peptides yeah. are interesting, but we, we make sure you get a clean peptides. source. There's some good sources like TaylorMade. You need a prescription is a good pharmacy for peptides. These are clean because you don't want to get- the, the guy you get yours from. Yeah, I, I mean, I can, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can definitely, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I can give up. I mean, listen, there, there is a physician who's doing this kind of work online. Well, keep it on the low. You know? Let us get yeah. cute before everybody yeah, else I mean, gets cute. There, but, and it's not illicit, you know, I mean, he'll make you do blood work and that kind of thing. Yeah. But I'll do, I, I do take Sermorellin about three to four nights a week. You can't take yeah. it every night because it has less of an effect. Right. Um, now, and then there's this whole landscape of gray market. In the old days. We're not doing that shit. Yeah, in the old days, it was the big drug out here. Um, in the club scene was GHB, gamma hydroxybutyrate, that's which the, increased growth hormone. That's, that's what River that's Phoenix. A, that's the date rape drug, right? Uh, that's rohypnol. Rohypnol. Yeah. Isn't that GHB? GHB, uh, no, GHB stimulates growth hormone release. It's a hypnotic, and it was big in the club scene, and then it became big in the kind of sex club scene. Mm. Um, and then when River Phoenix died, it became implicated in that, and they actually used to be able to buy it at GNC. Get the fuck out of Yeah, but not anymore. So they but it turns out River Phoenix, you know, sadly had heroin, cocaine, marijuana, alcohol, um, and GHB in his system, which is obviously, you know, very, you know, Wait, very- is that poppers? What's poppers? Uh, poppers, I think, were something of, I don't know. 
Oh, I feel I, you know what the two drugs that have di- totally disappeared are are quaaludes and poppers. Yeah, quaaludes um, are gone. Quaaludes. I don't even know what a quaalude is. Me neither, but it looked fun in that. Well, very sad. Right? Yeah. I heard it was like a horse tranquilizer. Yeah, apparently bad idea. Bad idea. Actual finite supply from Wolf of Wall Street, which I rewatched recently. Great movie, but they're they're gone because people just took them all. Uh, and it was supposed to, I think, help you sleep or something. But then they found out if you stayed awake past a certain point, you got, got super fun. high and it got fun. That yeah. sounds like. GHB. Um, yeah. And remember, ketamine used to be a, a recreational drug, right? Um, Still cat, is. Cat. Okay. Yeah, all these drugs. Listen, if people are going to explore with a medical doctor, I'm not saying that to protect me. I'm saying that to protect you, being yeah. in the audience. Like, you have to, these are not things you want to cowboy, especially with all the fentanyl yeah. Stuff happening now is is so crazy. I mean, you just die the first time. That just because yeah, I remember growing up, they said if you smoke crack once, you're going to be addicted for life. Remember that was the public message. Um, it does seem like you can die from fentanyl first time. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to go happened. dark there, no, but it's happened but, to yeah. a bunch of comedians. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Mine, yeah. Why would yeah. they? Is it true that comedians? They that, thought there that was cocaine coke. is, is cocaine. common in the, in the comedy scene. I, I mean, think it was. A huge and, in like the eighties. Yeah, and I think it's sure. it's still a little bit more yeah, in LA and stuff I think like that. Cocaine think, is but. just like a, or it was before this fentanyl stuff. It was just a recreational drug. I was surprised. I mean, I'll be honest, I, especially like younger people, how often they were using it. It was really? just like Blame. every weekend it was like smoking weed, drinking alcohol, do some well, coke. I, I feel like when I went to college there was some people smoked some pot, maybe some psilocybin use, but it was really just alcohol. Yeah. It was for Santa Barbara, it wasn't yeah, a big yeah. um cocaine scene or heroin scene. I'm sure there were pockets of that, but I was never exposed to that. Um, Well, yeah, I think that the, the, the peptides thing is interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in. Interested in the peptides. Mark, yeah. what were you going to say? I'm curious, your question before, like what are five or six things that you implement into like oh, your yes. daily oh, yeah. or weekly routine that okay. you do that you think more people should do? Okay. And then we got so, to wrap this one up, I think. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, I want to ask one question. This I'm question. not known for being succinct. No, no. So, yeah, no, so no, sorry. No, no, so to, sorry. You don't have to. I love this podcast and I listen to it. So for me, I came here to listen to you guys and then I ended up talking the whole <laughs> well, time. We came here to listen yeah. to you. I'll have to come back and be an audience member. That would be a Whenever. thrill. Um, so, okay, foundational things. Get more, get sunlight in your eyes in the morning, especially on cloudy days, as many days of your life as you can. Yep. And make it a pleasurable thing. Yeah. Right? Just get up and get outside. Get out on a porch. Get outside. You know, take sunglasses. Just do it, right? Um, uh, most days, if not every day. Try and get your sleep right. Now, younger people with different schedules, like don't give up a social life, but you know, try and get a good amount of sleep. Get good at that. Some people are great sleepers, some people aren't. Very good idea if you want to be healthy to do three days a week of weight training. We're talking about 10 minutes of warm-up and 50 to 60 minutes of working out. If you want, we have a, a schedule like of a, that encompasses all this. It's on HubermanLab.com. You get it free. There's nothing to sell here. It's just like a fitness toolkit. That we have a sleep toolkit, all that zero cost. Oh, wow. You just download it as a PDF, three pages. So you Amazing. don't have to listen to me talk. Yeah. Then I would say three days a week of resistance training and train your legs. Guys, come on. Hmm. You know, like, have, like come on. Um, <laughs> and yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, Three days a week of some cardiovascular work. People might say, well, listen, I'm in my 20s or 30s. Like, I'm not worried about it. It's not about being worried about a heart attack. It's about maintaining blood flow to everything. What is some cardiovascular work? Okay, so I think one day a week, you take a long, slow jog or pedal on the bike or treadmill or swim, whatever your favorite thing is. If you're 
want to make it social and you're out with somebody, you could literally get one, like wear a weight vest for a hike if you want to make it harder. But um, you could skip rope, whatever. The other cardio day, sprint. It's real easy. Find a patch of land, sprint for 30 seconds to 45 seconds, then walk back for a minute to 90 seconds, sprint again, do that five to 10 times. Till, by, by the end, you will have increased your speed, your VO2 max, your output. And then another day, make, do something fun like... Take, I got a friend, he's a musician. I won't name his name. He's a well-known musician. He's, he's like really into Pilates right now, probably for a bunch of reasons. Um, <laughs> loves Pilates. He's like, yo, I'm loving Pilates. And then he's Pilates. <laughs> Some other cardiovascular thing that's kind of fun. Could be basketball. Yeah. Could be skateboarding. Like something that you enjoy at least three days a week. And the other day is weight training. It's not complicated. And then one day a week, just take off as a recovery day. Mm-hmm. And to, the way to organize this so that your legs recover in time for the sprint day and your sprints are kind of double as a leg day. We have an episode on this called Toolkit for Fitness. You don't have to watch it. We'll just have our fitness toolkit, lays out the schedule, exercise selection, rest sets, all that. Super easy. It's minimal time commitment. And listen, there are reasons to do it for aesthetic reasons. There are reasons to do it for heart health reasons. This is key. Okay, so sunlight, that. I think have some tool to be able to control your stress. Some people are super mellow, but some non-pharmaceutical tool the double inhale through the nose, the physiological size. So big, deep inhale through the nose, then sneak in a little bit more air, then dump all your air with your mouth. That's the fastest way to calm down. If you're scared of public speaking, if you, um, you know, you're tense about some interaction and listen, if I can't bring you on board with that way, um, listen, I'll just be very direct. You want to delay orgasm. It works for that too. Because remember, orgasm is a increase in the what we call the sympathetic tone of the nervous system. It's actually kind of like the stress response. And then comes the relaxation afterwards. So, you know, it's sort of like, if you need like a, a re, an incentive. For, for real. Well, and in the tantric community, they talk about using this type of breathing to, to for couples to be able to have sex for long periods of time to be able to explore the different forms of of sensual connection. So there you go. Like um, physiological side. jokes about too. that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. Well, there is something called <laughs> retrograde. You know about the retrograde ejaculation thing, right? No. Well, this is crazy. So the, um, and I have a story that you have to be careful with this, uh, not to get too wild with this. So there is this thing about, um, there's a lot on the internet about semen retention and chi, right? Yeah. You know, after orgasm, in, here we're talking about males and females, but for in males, after ejaculation, there's an increase in the hormone prolactin, which makes you very mellow. And that sets the refractory period. And during that time, you're not getting another erection. You're not having sex again. Mm-hmm. This is why drugs that increase dopamine sometimes are, are kind of pro-sexual drugs. Mm-hmm. But if people take too much of them, then they're just like all gas pedal, but they're not relaxed enough to actually get an erection, mm-hmm. right? This is the cocaine thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, sex is a dance between arousal and relaxation. Right. Tantra, under, excuse me, understands that, and they try and bring people into a kind of a mellow plane where they are controlling all that, that rise and fall of, of arousal mm-hmm. over and over again. That's the idea. So there is this notion of, ret- in the, from in Asian, certain Asian cultures have talked about retaining chi by, instead of allowing semen to leave the body during orgasm, they there's a practice of pulling it back in by inhaling and, and clamping essentially the muscles around the prostate. So I have a friend who got really into experimenting with this. His wife um, it happened to be in the kind of Qigong community, uh, was really inter- in, you know, into Qigong, and he did this, but he developed terrible prostitis. So you have to be really careful. But he was walking around feeling like he had 
twice as much energy as he ever did before. So right before he's about to bust, he sucks it back in. Yeah, and again, you can mess yourself up with this, you know? Like, That's crazy. It's crazy, it's crazy. That seems um, like the worst idea. It seems like, yeah, exactly. Uh, for some people, it's going to be the worst idea. For other people, you know, uh, you know, I'm not, pr I'm not promoting this, but there is this notion of retrograde ejaculation. Do okay. you ever let it out? Do I personally? No, yes. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Do you, like, when you, when you retrograde, do you ever actually ejaculate? They do. They recommend they do it, like, a, you know, like once a week or something like that. I mean, the, yeah. Um, a lot, as long as we're on this topic, if you do want to get your partner pregnant, um, stay out of hot tubs and saunas in the 60 days preceding that. Um, oh, 60 days. 60. Sperm. But you can put an ice pack between your legs. If you want to maintain, you want to keep your your uh, testicles cool. There's a reason why the scrotum moves. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you keep the uh, sperm Hot certain temperature. Hot tub saunas. Yeah, sixty days before trying to conceive. Yeah, and it's not a good form of birth control either because I think plenty of people have been conceived in hot tubs and saunas. Yeah. Um, I don't know the exact number, but let's assume. Um, so, the so we got sunlight. We we got a. Don't do. We don't, somehow we got into retrograde ejaculation. We got sunlight, exercise. Stress control through physiological, the double inhale, long exhale through the mouth. Um, try and be a nose breather and not a mouth breather. Um, listen, I also think it's a really good idea in addition to seeking good social connection, et cetera. I think it's good to have some practice that makes you more resilient. And I'm a big fan of cold showers and ice baths and cold. They have great banyas here in New York. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, put yourself into uncomfortable cold three or five days a week. It's not about the metabolism increase as much as is the mental training of doing something that sucks. I mean, David Goggins has this right. And actually this brings us back to this, the, the, the importance of story. I mean, David is a guy who just keeps pushing himself and pushing himself to do the hard thing. But I think the reason he's so effective as a communicator is because we understand that he had to go through a journey that was incredible from being this 300 plus pound guy to that, and he's still doing it. So we're like in his story, he's mm. still going. And so I think all of us would do well to, yeah, to push ourselves to be uncomfortable. And then when the cold, what's beautiful is after you get out of the cold, and I like to end on warm shower, you do a minute or three minutes of a cold or get in the ice bath or whatever it is, you get this huge long lasting surge in dopamine that sets your mood and your positivity for hours and hours. This has been shown by data. Wow. And so I think it's a wonderful tool. And it's, listen, these are basically zero cost tools. They take time. Yeah. I wish I had developed these tools in my twenties. Yeah. I built them gradually. I've been working out a long time and little things here and there, but if you start them early, yeah. they stay with you. And I always think the best way to outperform everybody in your business, or at least keep up in very competitive business and Joe Rogan is a beautiful example of this, is to take excellent care of your health. Yeah. He's, I mean, think about three or four, four-hour podcasts a week, plus yeah. the comedy thing, but it's, a, it's superhuman. Yeah. Plus UFC, you're doing this. Like, people who are really good at their craft yeah. invest in taking really good care of themselves. Yeah. And then, of course, that includes avoid toxic relationships. Mm -hmm. Just avoid them. They ruin people's lives. They'll ruin your life. Like, just do your best to be in healthy relationships, and then everything's good. And I don't say that lightly. Like, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. I've seen so many people who were doing great, but because they got caught up in some drama, they just nosedived the whole thing. So those yeah. are, those would be the recommendations. There are a bunch of others, and I'll keep spouting them out on the internet. Dr. But, motherfucking you know. Huberman. Just saved your life, okay? You could do all that stuff, or you could just go get peptides like the rest of us. <laughs> we're not going to give a fuck. We're going to do psilocybin. We're going to smoke weed. We're going to not do fentanyl, but we're going to definitely do... 
What is it? What was the other one? Salmonella. Salmonella. No, no, not salmonella. <laughs> Sermorellin. Salmonella. All that shit. Salmonella. Sermorellin. R2-D2. Retrograde. The retrograde. We're retrograding. We're not nothing anymore. It's no nut. November, <laughs> December, January, February. It's all no nuts. You're not inside. A lot of prostate exactly. doctors making yeah. money in November. We're coming to you, prostate doctors, literally. Uh, okay, so I want you to make sure that you go check out Huberman's podcast. Make sure you check out his website, the Huberman Labs, as well. Get all that information right there. And follow him on all platforms. And go see him live. See and go check out the live show. Yes. Thanks for coming yeah, out. For absolutely. That. We Thank love you. the live show. That was great. Thank and you, remember, he wears the same outfit every time, so you get to see that junk. Mm. Mm. Dr. Human, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you so much.